What's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Mr. Jim Cross. Jim, tonight is episode 27, titled Keep Going. And that going emphasis is in the spelling, G-E-A-U-X-I-N-G, because tonight we're bringing on the LSU women's goalkeeper, Grace McClellan. But before we bring Grace into the mix, Jim, talk to me. How was the weekend, man? Much improved from last weekend. Uh, Not only from a sports perspective, obviously all my teams did win, and that's not the end-all, be-all, but it definitely helped. But we did a old Choose 901 weekend. We went to the Memphis Zoo. Um, We went and checked out some other places, uh, did a whole family day, church Sunday, and then a little laziness watching football the remainder of the day. And so – much needed rest, some more family time, and like I said, all the sports teams came out on top. Man, that's a good weekend. Mine was uh, in the sports world was the exact opposite. So, <laughs> congratulations on that. But I will say it was the tale of, of of two stories here in Florida. Saturday, it was a beautiful 70-degree day, sunny, no humidity, dry. It was awesome. It is like what you moved to Florida for. And then Sunday was rainy, miserable, awful all day long, and it's been hit or miss today. So um, Sunday with sports, well, Saturday night leading into Sunday with sports, and we'll talk about all this. It was just it was just miserable. It was just dreary. And I'm, I'm glad we have Grace on the show tonight because I, 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 need, I need some, some cheering up because my, my sports world was turned upside down. And I, I'm, I'm going to need you to, once again, this week, talk me off the ledge, brother. Um, but enough of that nonsense. I want to I wanna pick up the mood. I want to get us going. And I'm going to bring in with the biggest interview in podcasting this week, LSU women's goalkeeper, Grace McClellan. Grace, thank you for joining us. How are you doing tonight? Hello, I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited Absolutely. to be on. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, we're glad to have you. Um, Jim and I are, well, Jim is trying to push me towards knowing and learning and loving soccer. Um, when, I, when we started this podcast months ago, I was probably on the far end of the spectrum of, of liking soccer. I'm, I just can't get over the, the ties. So I appreciate the athleticism. I appreciate the conditioning that goes into it, but that competitive side of me, I just, I can't, I can't stand a tie. So hopefully you'll help, you'll help with that tonight. But, you know, I will say over, over the past few months, Jim has done a really good job. He's been a great friend. He's, he's starting to, open up my world to to soccer and and how great it can be so i'm not fully there yet but i'm getting there so hopefully tonight you and him can can get me all the way there yeah uh, so you know tonight's going to be all about you we're going to tell you know from from what i can tell is is an amazing story um and the the listeners, you know, so far, we just try to tell a story with every guest. And I, I think tonight, the, the story from you is going to be by far one of the best that we have. So, you know, let, let's start back from the beginning. Where, where are you from? Thank you. Um, so I'm from a small town called Southside, Alabama. 
And so if those that aren't familiar with that, it's um, about an hour north of Birmingham. And um, yeah, so I've loved, I've lived there my whole entire life. So do, I love do people, do people walk around going South side? <laughs> no, actually, no, but I do get questions about that. <laughs> so what, what's it like growing up on the South side? Um, well, it's a small town. Um, I just loved being like, I have so much appreciation for like where I came from now that I've come to Baton Rouge, such a big city. Um, but being in a small town, my parents really encouraged, uh, me to just like get out and travel and like experience other countries, other cities and places. So, um, I just think it's been a great foundation to have and like the support from like everybody in my town is amazing as well. So, so, so when I think of small town, I think of, you know, everybody knows everyone, everyone goes to the same church. You can't go to the grocery store without running into somebody, you know, is, is, is that what we're looking at? Or are we just talking about just like a small, small city sort of, um, essentially like Memphis? Um, I would say there's definitely, there's more than one church. <laughs> um, I think going to the grocery store, I'm definitely going to know um, like 25% of the people, but not all of them. So that is a good thing. Um, I mean, my graduating high school class had about 200. So it's not like, it's actually a good size um, for Alabama, but um, just like in the grand scheme of the world, I feel like it's a bit smaller so so basically everyone knows everyone's business and it's you know it's it's very i guess family like it's almost like a tight-knit family yeah you'll argue and fight with some of the people because that's what families do but you know they they know how to wrap their arms around you and and love you is that similar is that is that sort of what what we're dealing with yeah yeah, exactly. And also, um, my parents, they're both chiropractors. And so they have, they've been, um, chiropractors in my town for 35 years. So their patients are like family and they obviously seen me grow up. And so, yeah, that's really cool to have like, you know, like family all over the town. So, so they, I mean, I, I would, I would imagine that both of them being chiropractors, they, they know a, a high percentage of the people there. Um, were your parents athletic? Yes, absolutely. Um, my mother, she played field hockey for, for Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania. And then my dad, he played soccer and football and many sports in high school. And, um, and then my grandfather was an elite track runner. So, um, I come from some athletic, um, parents. So, so it, it runs in the family. I, I would imagine, you know, um, it, it, every chiropractor I know has like this, this background of sports, not just like sports, but like field hockey and football and like these, like really like beat you up sports um do your do your parents being chiropractors do they like 
focus on your body and how to make it better and how to make it move efficiently? And do they talk about mobility and stability and all, all that? Yes. Yes. And that is something like that. I'm so thankful for, like, I believe, you know, God gave me my parents as chiropractors because they've honestly kept me so healthy like through all of playing, um, goalkeeper playing sports. Like, um, I've been hurt. Um, I've, but my parents have always, you know, adjusted me, make sure, you know, my alignment's right. And then that way that doesn't turn into a major injury. You know, I've been blessed, you know, thankfully that, you know, I haven't had a major injury because, and I really credit that to chiropractic and like keeping my body, um, aligned. And so, um, my dad also spent like my brother, he, um, ran track in high school. And so my dad spent a lot of time working with the track runners at our high school and, um, and really helped them with that. So yeah, that's such a big part of, you know, staying healthy and, you know, and I see a chiropractor here now cause I just can't go without it. So. <laughs> hey, I, I'm a firm believer in, in Cairo shout out to Dr. Pedro. He's the guy that helps me feel, 25 when I'm actually 35. So, so shout okay. out to him. Um, but take me back to when you first started playing soccer. What, what age was that? So I first started at four years old and my dad was coaching my brother and doing like little, little kid soccer. And I was always on his hip. Like he would carry me around on his hip while he would coach. So I was always in his ear, like, when am I going to get to play? When am I going to get to play? And the parents on the sidelines would ask me like, Oh, are you going to get to play next year? So I was really asking my parents a lot to play. So at four, um, I just, that's when I started. So. Man, I was probably counting Legos and doing dumb stuff at four and you're sitting here playing soccer. God, like what makes me yeah. question what I was doing as a kid. <laughs> So I actually started at four myself, Daniel, but my dad's reasoning was because he just needed to get me out of the house and there's a soccer field right next door. So therefore he signed me up. <laughs> I mean, I, I would probably say it wasn't too far after four when I started playing football, but like, I, I don't know. I just, I have a daughter, she's about to turn three and, and she's like, she's interested in things, but for me to put her outside and go, all right, let's play some soccer. Like we're not even close to being there yet. So I, I just try to put it in perspective and, and like, that's to me, that's the sign of, of elite greatness is that for you're able to understand the concept of I'm going to get out here and play soccer with these folks and run and kick. And like, I know what to do and how to do it. So, you know, shout out to you, man. That's, that's, that's incredible. But um, did you play any other sports when you were younger or just soccer? Um, I did a little bit of gymnastics and then in like fourth and fifth grade, I played basketball, but, um, pretty much after middle school and beyond, I just was soccer and I don't know exactly why I just was, I just loved it. I, that was the only thing there wasn't, I just was like, let's play soccer, soccer. Like that's all I thought about. So. 
Probably because you, your your parents were like, look, if you're going to be a gymnast, like, we're going to have to work on you, like, 24-7. <laughs> like, you need to, like, you need to run around and, like, stretch out and, like. Right. <laughs> no, but but you, you're currently a goalkeeper. So mm-hmm. how did, was that something that you were as, at a young age? Or did you play other positions growing up? Or how did you become a goalie? Like, what? how does someone (laughs) say I just want to be goalie I know it's crazy actually I started playing soccer just absolutely loving scoring goals like that was my favorite thing to do I was a forward scored a lot of goals and then um probably like third and fourth grade I one day just like was in was at practice and was like oh like I'll go in goal I'll do that and so I did it for a couple practices and my dad found out that I was being a goalkeeper. And he was like, he went to the coach and he was like, no, my daughter is not going to be the goalkeeper. No, no. Put her back in the field. This is not happening. He's like thinking like in his, like himself is thinking, I don't want my daughter like being the one to get scored on. Like this is not happening. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the coach uh, said to him, well, I hate to break it to you but she has that piece that you can't teach she has that crazy that you need and that you just can't deny so um I think all goalkeepers have to have a little bit of crazy to say yeah I want to get hit with the ball yeah kick it at me hit me in the face I don't care like (laughs) so it takes a bit craziness so yeah I actually you can you can have all that yeah (laughs) Yeah, I actually started the opposite route. I actually started in goal when I was little. And after a couple of years, my coach realized how fast I was and that I could score goals. And so he pulled me out. So I went the opposite direction. But um, I don't know, after watching, especially as you get older, watching what goalies have to do, I don't think that I could ever have stuck it out. I mean, y'all's, y'all's ability to be able to protect the house is just next level. And we'll obviously get into that. But let's go – to high school now now you mentioned already that you're from a not too small town but a smaller town and you you mentioned your graduating class um but I mean is it was it a big school overall small school like what what a were y'all were like 2a 3a 4a what um actually we were um 6a out of 7a so we were um a good really? size but I didn't end up um actually I just played for one year with my high school my freshman year so I just played um high school soccer for one and was that the only sport you played in high school yes yeah at that time I was just dedicated strictly to soccer and um just wanted to play college soccer so well because I understand the soccer world pretty well I know that you wouldn't have been just playing at school were you playing on a club team yes so that was really big. Um, I basically was searching for the highest level to play at. And uh, pretty much around the eighth grade, I decided that I wanted to play college soccer. And so my parents and I, my parents like make any sacrifice in the world for me. So they were like, okay, well, we're going to do what that takes. So basically I need to play at the highest league and, um, in the, like in our nation. So basically there was this elite club national league. It's called ECNL. And there was a team in Birmingham with an hour away. And so I played 
at that club, Busa, for three years. And then I also played for Concord Fire out of Atlanta for a year in the Elite Clubs National League. So that is um, where I got a lot of exposure to college coaches, to showcases, all that kind of stuff. Like that was a really, really great league. And I really, you know, enjoyed my time. Was there a lot of talent on your team? Yes, so much talent. I got to play with so many good players and learned so much from every situation. And um, yeah. All right. Well, Grace, reading your story, obviously, I know something that people who have not listened yet um, know, and I know that you've overcome some adversity. You said you didn't play but one year of high school. Um, why is it that you only played one year of high school? Um, well, I played um, my freshman year, but basically in Alabama, the rules are that you can only play high school soccer um, and you can't do other things like you can't do extra training you can't do anything like that and so that was really tough on me in my development and so basically I just had to basically decide that like that wasn't going to be what was going to be best for me to go and play college soccer so yeah I pretty much was only able to play for the high school and not do anything else like ODP or um or even like like I said, just like work with a outside goalkeeper coach. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, we, uh, you know, being my daughter plays club, like we discussed, because Tennessee and Mississippi, because we're right on the Tennessee-Mississippi line, they have different rules. And that's why in the fall, we basically hardly have any of the Tennessee teams in because they're not allowed to participate in anything. And then they are in the spring. And so that's why spring is a much bigger deal because we don't have the Tennessee teams in the fall. So I actually understand state by state. And so clearly Alabama is, is like Tennessee in that regard. Um, what would you say, you know, was the best thing that prepared you from playing club soccer? Um, well, I would say one of the things, two, there's two things, but one of the things was ODP, the Olympic Development Program. And I was a part of that program from when I was able to begin in middle school all the way through high school. And that is through the program that I was able to go to England and play internationally. But um, honestly, I just take so many life lessons from that program and, you know, how tough it was, but how it strengthened me so much like through that adversity. And um, so, yeah, that was incredible, but also, um, the later part of my high school career, I really wanted to focus on my development and getting ready for college. And so then I was able to, I came across the opportunity to play for um, Darlington Soccer Academy, which is in Rome, Georgia. And so that was the club team that I finished high school on. And um, that was about an hour from my house. So we would be able to train every single day and there was boys there as well so that like I really enjoyed that extra competition with the boys and so that helped me be more prepared coming to college because um just playing with that next level of the guys and the training there is incredible and the family environment with the teammates and everything um it was great so I was able to train every single day 
And then also I was able to do private lessons with um, other goalkeeper coaches. And then I also was going to the gym three days a week. So I just wanted to train a lot. And so that was a really great opportunity that I was able to do. So, so let, let's go back. Cause I, I, you're not giving yourself a lot of credit. I don't think you just humbly glanced over the fact that you played for this Olympic uh, development programming team and you went to England. So tell me how to, how does something like that come up? Are you invited to try out? Are you invited to attend? Like how did you get picked to be a part of that program? Yeah. So the Olympic development program has been around for a long time. And basically the it's in the title, they're pretty much finding players for the Olympics for our national team. And so it starts at a really young age. It starts at about seventh grade or something like that. So um, basically the structure of the program is that in your state, you make your state team for your age group. And then so every state in our region, so 13 states in the Southeast region have their state team in each age group. And then they, all state teams go to region camp is what they call it. So then there's about 600 players at region camp. So the best from each state. And then within that five day camp, they select 50 players and that's called their region pool. So then from that region pool, they select some of that 50 players and they select pretty much 18 to 20 um, and that's called the region team and so the region team they take on international trips and things like that and so um, basically that's the opportunity that I got um, and I went twice in 2017 and 2018 but that was I mean the amount of times I was told no before that is incredible so I mean, honestly, the amount of adversity that I faced through that program about, you know, if I didn't make it one year, I was, you know, resilient. And I was like, I'm going to make it the next year. And so I, you know, at one point I was like, I don't know if I need to continue in this program. I don't know. And I was just like, I'm going to fight hard and I'm going to, you know, try to make this team like this is my goal. And so um, by the end, I ended up making it. And then since then, I've actually gone back and worked the camp because it's just, I just want to inspire those younger girls. Like, Hey, if you're not making it this year, come back next year and prove them wrong. Like you can make it. And so just like the amazing opportunity that I got playing international with the program. Um, I just was going back and trying to inspire the girls to keep pushing it. So. Oh, what is that like being told no time after time? Like, was there ever a time where you got down on yourself and you were like, you know, I'm just going to be done. I'm going to see what I can do at the college level, you know, but as far as this developmental program, I, I can't do it anymore. How do you overplay just the, the mentality that it takes to, to keep pushing? Like what, what was the driving factor? Um, two, two, maybe three different things, but my parents are just my biggest fans and honestly, my biggest support system. And they help me so much. Like my, with, if something's not working, like researching and maybe finding another way to do something or, um, you know, like having the discernment to say, this is 
adversity and I need to take it head on or to say, no, we need to go around this. Like, this is something that we need to look elsewhere. But um, honestly, my faith has really pushed me so much. Like, I know that adversity is just God calling me to a deeper relationship with him. And I'm just blessed that soccer is the way that, you know, he has been calling me to a deeper relationship with him. Um, but on that actually super cool. Um, so basically the feat of making the region team, like it comes with like, it's a grueling process I feel. And, um, so when I finally was able to make it, I was like, it was just an incredible, incredible feeling. And, um, but before I made it, I had this dream one day, um, I had this dream that I started for the region team in a foreign country. And I remember the um, exact, the people, the place, I remember vividly this um, dream. But, and I came downstairs and I told my mom, I was like, hey, like I had this dream. I started for the region team. She's like, oh, that's so cool. Like, good. And I, I we never thought about it ever again. And so then when I actually made the region team, I went to England we were in a huddle, uh, the team, we were in the huddle and uh, do, saying our few things. And I walked out on the field, you know, to start the game. And when I turned around to face the field to start the game, it was the exact picture that I had had in that dream and everything, exact people, exact scenery. And so for me, I was like, wow, I just got the chills. I was like, wow, that's so God telling me I'm on the right path. Like I'm absolutely in his will. So, you know, that is one thing that I just keep so dear to my heart is because I know through all that adversity, through the ODP program, through, you know, finally making the region team through all that adversity, it was just incredible to know that like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. So. After all that hard work and all that sacrifice and all the battling and all the, the nose to have that, that, that dream, that premonition it's it's got to be rewarding it's got to be comforting to know that you're in a spot where you know for a fact you're meant to be um so yeah you you talked about england is that the only place that you were when you were in europe um yes so i got to take two trips with the olympic development program and each of them were to england and um actually it was really cool is um, that game I was telling you about the dream, I actually was playing against my roommate and she's from England and she played for the lady Arsenal team. So I played against her like absolutely so crazy. What a small world. So really cool. It's, un it's unbelievable. Yeah. What, so what, what was a typical day like? Um, so you guys would go over there and how long would you be in Europe for? Um, the trip was about... 12 days um, each time. And I mean, we flew there, we landed and we trained that day. I mean, it was, there was like, it was tough, you know, jet lag and all. No, we're training, you know, so um, it was great. I think we trained in the morning, we would do some sightseeing in the afternoon and evening. And then um, but honestly, the purpose was to give us a challenging experience to grow from and it, it definitely did. And um, yeah, it was incredible. Both experiences were great. 
um, both experiences taught me different things. So I carry those lessons with me the whole time. So in these, these 12 days, essentially almost two weeks, you're with your parents, without your parents? Um, pretty much they kept us in a bubble, the team. And, um, but a few parents were able to come and watch our games. So actually my mom was able to come and watch um, a few of the games. But for the most part, we were in our bubble and just with the team and they took care of us. So what, how are you as an American going over to England at, your, at this age, how are you perceived by the other teams in England? Are they, are they wanting to know, like, who are these people? Like, are they thinking they're better than you? Like, how, how does that di dynamic work? Actually, that was really cool that you say that because I remember in our first game that we played, um, the coach said, this, these girls – these girls from England don't know anything about you other than you're from America. And last time we brought a team from America here, we beat them. So you've got a target on your back and they're coming out relentless. And that's all they cared that we were from the United States. So um, there's definitely um, a big, I guess, rivalry thing. And we both were, you know, relentless in fighting in every game. So it was really, really great competition. So like when, when I when I picture it, I I look at the perception of soccer in America and the perception of soccer in Europe. Obviously, soccer in Europe is held to such a high standard, but here, like it is to a degree, but it's not the the number one sport. So knowing that, like, what is the level of talent that they have in England? Is it higher? Is it lower? Or is it like on the same like playing field as you guys? Um, I think the thing in the difference between the United States and Europe is that they say that the United States um, athletes are just, they're just more like athletic and physical and things like that. But the knowledge and the student of the game that you know they are in Europe and in England is something that like I learned so much from just learning so much about tactics and strategy and just being a student of the game it was incredible and I just you know and now I have a coach from Europe um, she's the head coach here and so just learning continuing to learn so much about the game it just it, I see the game so differently than, you know, I did in the past. It's incredible. So what was it about this experience that helped you land at LSU? Um, well, basically, I was committed. Basically, my recruiting process is very different from the normal recruiting process. I feel like when I was in high school, a lot of girls were committing as sophomores. And, but now things have changed. It's a bit different, but, um, uh, so I kind of started that process when I um, was a freshman. And then, so I just started talking to coaches and then I, um, started going to ID camps and all sorts of things like that. And then I went to an ID camp at Louisiana Lafayette 
and they offered me when I was a sophomore in high school. And so I was like, oh my goodness, like, wow. And it took me a while to make that decision. And so I decided to commit. And, you know, that was tough for me because I always dreamed of, like, I wanted to go to an SEC school. And, but I just had to trust God that, like, this is where he wanted me at that point in time. And um, so then that coach asked me to graduate high school early. And so I, um, I made every arrangement that I could to graduate high school early. So I was able to graduate in January of 2019. So a semester early. Um, but then in October, so October, 2018, and then um, January, 2019 is when I'm supposed to go. I got a call that the head coach resigned. And basically as a student athlete, you're able to decide like, am I going to stay or am I going to go? Like, is I have the, choice um, because I hadn't signed my NLI yet because that was in November. And so I called my mentors and, you know, pretty much came to the decision that I was going to need, like, I just felt led to decommit and to explore other options. And so then I did. So I really took that big leap of faith in October that I decommitted from Louisiana Lafayette. And I was literally with no school. I had absolutely, I was not going anywhere and I was gonna go to school in January. I just was sitting there in faith. Like, I know this is what God wants for me just through so much prayer and um, just so much patience, I knew. So then basically within two or three days, I had contacts from three different SEC schools, Alabama, Tennessee, and LSU. So it was absolutely just trusting God. And um, it was incredible how everything just came to, like, it just came to fruition. It was incredible. And so then I planned a, a visit here to LSU, and it was just absolutely everything I wanted and everything that I had dreamed of. And so, you know, it just goes back to how I know God ordered my steps and I know that I had to trust him when I thought, oh, I don't know if this looks right, you know, but I know that, you know, I was supposed to commit there. I was, my plan, my recruiting process was supposed to look the way it is just because how divine the process was and how it's more of divine appointment and just, um, yeah, so I know exactly. I'm supposed to be where I am today. So well, and I tell people every time I go down to Baton Rouge that it's God's country. So I believe you made the right choice when we're talking about Tennessee, Alabama, or, or LSU. So well, well done. So safe to say though, if it wasn't for your faith, you would not be at LSU or even where you're at altogether. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many things that have happened that it's not about like what role has faith played in my life. It's like faith is my life. And that is like why I'm here. And I think um, it's just like I, when I was young, um, like people ask, they always ask the question, like, why, like, what is your why? And, you know, I did a lot of soul searching about eighth grade and I was thinking, okay, what has God given me? You know, I, I thought, okay, 
like when they talk about your calling, like what is that? And basically I came to understand that your calling is using the gifts that God has given you and then glorifying him through that. And so for me, I was like looking at my life and I was like, okay, well, my gift, I guess, is soccer. So I'm going to use that to glorify him. And so really that's been what I have always wanted is it's not about me. It's about, it's about God. And it's about how can I encourage others, you know, through the adversity that I've gone through. So, you know, I just tried to con like conduct myself in a manner that's like Christ-like and how I, when I battle through adversity, it's like, how would, you know, am I being like Christ, you know, like God would give his a hundred percent, no matter what. So like, that's what I'm doing, you know? So let me ask you, because, you know, I think of like, for instance, like the Tim Tebow's of the world, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it is hard to have faith and play sports, especially when you are around people who may not understand it. And even more so you're a college student and, you know, a lot of people are there to party, have fun, you know, how hard is it to represent your faith and to, and to stay strong, whether it be on the soccer field or whether it be in the classroom? Yeah, I think um, definitely in the beginning, it was very difficult to adjust to college life, to everything coming from like a smaller town, so many more people here, like just the culture shock that I experienced was crazy, but really it just kind of like goes back to who I am and just I really had to ground myself in my values and then after I adjusted um yeah I was able to just stay grounded so and I absolutely love it because you know I have a daughter who looks up to you you know she already was a fan of LSU soccer we go down there we watch y'all play she gets to meet you she gets to talk to you she's an autograph and, you know, obviously we're people of faith. And so she sees someone like you and it sets an example because a lot of times the example is you have to just try to fit in however you can. Right. And that's the wrong way. Um, you know, you, you be who you are and you follow um, who God has you planned to be. So, you know, someone like you sets an example. And with that, I have to ask you the question, you know, do you feel like you're a role model? Um, I know that whether I, want to be or not, I am in some form of way. And I, there are younger girls looking up to me. And I know that from experience because when I was like, right when I started soccer, honestly, I remember I went to this little camp and the coach was like, look at this girl. She's, um, she played at UAB. It's a UAB D1 college soccer player. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be a D1 college soccer player. Like not even knowing what D1 college soccer was. I was just like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And that obviously stuck with me this whole time. And so to think that like that girl had such an impact on me and I don't even know her name, like, and how like something like that, I could have such a life-changing impact on someone. So honestly, I just try to be a positive example, like, on and off the field and um yeah and so that's why I just love meeting like little girls and just maybe not even just maybe hopefully inspiring them whether that be in soccer but in anything really so 
Yeah, absolutely. We love that um, that you embrace that opportunity. Daniel told Kennedy last week, and we've told other guests if we talked to them because some of them don't feel like they are. They say maybe they don't think that they are. And as Daniel pointed out, that anytime you don that jersey, um, especially at an SEC school, whether you like to think so or not, somebody's watching you. And so it's it's such an amazing opportunity to like you said, in any small way or large way to be able to, to influence them. And I know that, you know, like I said, specifically, I, I know that you are with more than my daughter, but just in my own house, um, she sees you. I, ha- I have to be honest with you, Grace. I waited till this episode to tell you. So our goalkeeper is amazing, but she wants to play some outside of the goal. Well, nobody mm-hmm. wants to volunteer. Well, all of a sudden I find out that my daughter does. And anyway, the first thing she says to me is, I can ask Grace for some pointers. And uh, of course, I've told you. Absolutely. And of course, I told you it helps that our club coach was a goalie for for CBU. So I'm sure she can point in the right direction. But you inspired her to try something different already and, you know, step up for her team and give another girl an opportunity. Not not in our tournaments, but you know how club ball works. We have have Mm -hmm. league games and, you know, they don't matter as much. And give her an opportunity that way she's not just a goalie only she can get out and do some footwork and everything and so um you inspire her to try something new and and she she's like i'm excited and so you'll probably be hearing from her here soon wow i would love to hear from her that's so awesome and so uh i gotta i gotta ask you know you see you see the lsu stuff in the background daniel says you should never talk uh about what we can see that nobody else can see but i think anybody who knows me and follows me on social media knows my whole room's decked in LSU. I love mm-hmm. the purple and gold. So I got to ask you, what does it feel like to don that jersey with LSU on it? Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Honestly, them like, I my teammates laugh at me sometimes. I will sit there and I will just say, "Oh my gosh, you guys, we are so lucky to be here." And just randomly, I would just say that. Probably every week, I say that. <laughs> and like, there's just so many amazing opportunities and resources and facilities. Like, it is absolutely incredible like what it means to be an LSU Tiger and like they say you bleed purple and gold like I understand what that means and like just the amount of pride and like thankfulness that I have um honestly not a day goes by where I'm not thankful to be a part of LSU and I've always like I don't think I have a shirt that doesn't say LSU on it like I'm always wearing it and I yeah and I go home and you know I go home I'm from Alabama they don't like that I'm wearing LSU, but I wear it all the time to the grocery store and stuff. I'm just proud <laughs> to be a Tiger. So. That's good. You should you should be proud. And well, let me ask you a question in regards to um, y'all soccer stadium because that's my first uh, college soccer game, and obviously I've been in the football and baseball stadium, and I know that LSU has a top five facility in both of those. Are all the soccer fields that nice? Because I mean, it seemed pretty nice, but I don't have anything to compare it to. Um, honestly, you know, that's another amazing thing. Like I, we obviously travel to other SEC schools and when you come home, you're like, wow, like this field is so nice. <laughs> like it is just incredible. And like, I just, our facilities are absolutely incredible. Our locker room, like our clubhouse, that's brand new. That got finished, um, last fall. So we've been in there a year and then our stadium, um, that's been redone recently. And then our field, like over quarantine, got pretty much redone 
fix the drainage system and everything. So, I mean, they keep everything top notch. And um, I mean, our field is incredible. Yeah. That grass looked beautiful. beautiful. I look like I could go out there and take a nap on it. Oh, yes. Yes, it is beautiful. They And like our facilities, people take such good care of it. Um, always out there spraying it, mowing it constantly. Like it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's a, I mean, you know, since Daniel's new to this soccer thing, um, you know, it's not like football, Daniel, like it, in football, you can kind of play on whatever, right? In soccer, if you can't get good footing, it's going to be a bad game. And so to have nice luscious grass to play on in a nice flat field that's dry, it, it really makes it a, a better game. Um, For sure. And so, hey, Daniel, by the way, I sent I sent Grace some material that she didn't take advantage of. Uh, Grace, I sent you that the NFL, there was a tie last week, and you were supposed to throw that back at him in our soccer defense. Did you not see when I sent you that I on Instagram? That. Oh, oh, I there, didn't see there that. There was a, the Bengals oh, and the Eagles tie last week, and that, that was ammunition, NFL game in a tie. And so he can't hold that over soccer anymore. Daniel. Oh, no. What do you got to say to that, Daniel? Well, one is in the worst league, in the worst division in football, and the other is got a brand-new quarterback. I mean, he is an LSU guy, but – Who got his first win this week? Shout out, Joe Burrow. That's right. Um, but to be fair, on the tie thing, um, in women – or in college soccer, actually, if the 90 minutes of regulation end in a tie – then we go into two 10-minute sudden death periods. So basically then you have 20 minutes and whoever scores a goal wins immediately. But obviously after that 20 minutes, if there's no one has scored, then it's a, um, then it's a tie. But then if you're in a tournament, then when you need a winner, then you'll go into PKs after the overtime. But um, in the regular season, they definitely give the opportunity to eliminate as much ties as they can. So. Right. And, you know, um, he watches hockey, so he's familiar because it, it's it's pretty similar. But, I mean, what I like about soccer, uh, especially if you're in a level like, you know, uh, the game I went to, unfortunately, y'all were on the wrong end of it, but it was one to zero. But I like, and especially since you're a goalie, I know you have to agree with me 100%. I like defense. Like, mm -hmm. I know some people say it's boring. People want to see more goals, but I want to see good sound soccer. And if you have good sound soccer, it's going to be low scoring because defensively that's where you're going to be the most sound. Correct. Absolutely. And that's one thing we like to say at LSU, like the way we attack is the way we defend. And so um, basically we just defend in a way that we can get the ball back quickly and we can attack. And um, so yeah, we've been learning a new system, and it's been great just learning so much more about the game. Well, before before I move on to academics, I do want to I want to throw a shout out because my daughter was given the assignment by um, one of her club coaches to watch Maddie Moreau, and uh, I got to watch her defense, offense, everywhere. And so she she is a teammate. Happens to listen to this episode of yours. Um, shout out to you. My daughter got to write a whole page on you and send it to her coach about everything she saw. Um, so yeah, she, she was, she was fun to watch. She was very aggressive. She, she showed what you're supposed to do on defense and offense. And so mm -hmm. she was fun to watch. Um, Absolutely. so academics, let's, let's get into it. Cause you know, I heard a few things. Let's first ask what you're studying before we get into that great GPA of yours. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I'm studying elementary and special education and, um, 
So I originally started in mass communications just because I thought, you know, I wanted to play, um, want to play professional and then, you know, some, do something with the media. But really my passion is using my platform to help the special needs. So I thought, you know, what a better way than just learning all about it. So. All right. And right now, are y'all virtual or are you in class doing both? How's how's your academics going right now as far as that? Um, so I'm doing both. I have a few classes that are strictly online and then a few classes that are strictly in person. And I like that dynamic. It's really good. Um, but grades are extremely important to me. So um, I'm a competitor on the field and off the field. So I strive for greatness in all the areas. So I'm um, I've never had a B in my life, so I just I just right, so, so do with everything that, extra. <laughs> so with that, one of the, one of the beauties of the game, Daniel, was I got to talk to her parents for a good long time, and they are fantastic people. It, it definitely you can tell played a role into who she is, and I, and I heard something about her her GPA and and being towards the top. Tell tell me about that, Grace, and don't don't be humble in this moment. We we need to know just how smart <laughs> you really are. Um. I think my GPA is a 4.19, I think, right now. But um, that's because at LSU, we have a plus minus system. So basically, um, a 90 to a 93 is an A minus, which is 3.7. A 94 to 96 is a 4.0. And then higher than 96 is, or I think a 97 and above is a 4.3. So that's how my GPA is higher than a 4.0 is because it's the A plus. So. And, and is it true? I heard you're like towards the top, top. Is, can, can you confirm that, that, uh, what I heard? <laughs> um, I don't know about from this school year. I haven't seen the breakdown, but I, they posted something about last year and I think I was the seventh top, um, student athlete. And as a person of faith, I know you feel good about the number seven, don't you? Yes. Is it, it's, uh, yeah. it's better than six or eight, isn't it? Right, exactly. I was like, seven is perfect, right? <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So uh, what does a typical day look like? Because um, that, that's one of the things we find most fascinating with athletes, right? Because y'all's day isn't like everybody else's day because you have to go around training. So what does your typical day look like? Um, so basically, I wake up at six o'clock in the morning and I get ready for training and I have like my routine. I make breakfast, have like a nice slow morning and then we have training that starts at eight. So I leave here about like 7.15 and so I get to soccer, get dressed and everything. And so we train at eight and then training goes to about 11 and then maybe I stay after things like that. And then I basically get lunch around 12 or so. so then after that, it depends on what day of the week it is, but on Tuesday and Thursday, I have classes at 1.30. And then if it's not, then I'll just have the whole rest of the day to do my online schoolwork, but then I'll have class. And then after the class, I'll go and do homework. And then around six o'clock or so, I'll go to the dining hall and get dinner and then come back, do some more schoolwork. And then 9:30 is bedtime because I got to get my eight hours of sleep. That's super important preparation for the next day of training. So, so we're borderline messing with your bedtime right now, aren't we? We're we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. I make sure I'm in bed, but we're good now. We're good 
today. I make exceptions. I got you. I got, I got one question in regards to that, that first training of the day. Is it by chance with that intense looking strength coach? Yes. Yes. And, oh man, love her. That's Renee. Um, yes, she is our strength and conditioning coach. Absolutely top notch. So, um, it just depends on what day of the week. Actually today we had lift before training. Um, but we do that. We do lift about one or two times a week. So we'll do that with her. And we actually get to use the softball facility, their brand new facility they let us use. So that's been great. So we don't like with coronavirus and stuff, we don't like cross contaminate with football. So, um, and softball's not really using that facility at the moment. So that's been great. Daniel, do you have any lifting questions? Dan- Daniel, we both lift, but he understands more. Uh, let's just say the details of a lot of different things, especially not even just lifting, but um, nutrition, health, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Daniel, you, you got any any questions about the how the soccer players work out? So when you say lift, is it more lightweight, explosion, high intensity stuff, or are you, you guys actually like building power? Um, it depends on – the day of the week like if it's um after a game or something and if you know the goalkeepers aren't haven't done a lot a big load then we're going to do a lot of high intensity interval training like so a lot of hit stuff and um, burpees and things like that trying to get that load higher so then like the next day we can have off but as far as um our new strength and conditioning coach focuses a lot on our mobility and our stability and our balance and our knees and our injury prevention and things like that and that's so important so we do you know we have times where we do we really focus on explosion and then we have times where we calm it down we're like no you know focus on prehab and not letting that knee go in we do a lot of like single leg things focusing on our posterior chain as well so that you know because soccer players were really quad dominant so we've been able to strengthen our posterior chain and we've seen so many improvements with just our um fitness and our the longevity of our team it's been incredible so as as a goalkeeper like and this is just me being unintelligent when it comes to soccer i think of a goalkeeper doing a lot of standing around obviously that's during during play, I mean, it's not, you're moving, but it's definitely not as much as the the other athletes on the field. But I would imagine that you have to condition just as hard, if not more than the other players when you're not on the field. Is that, is that true? Or Mm -hmm. do you guys are, your training is specific to what you're doing as a goalie? Yes. I, we're definitely a lot of goalkeeper specific things, but I, fitness is so important, especially for me. I'm like, I don't want that stereotype, you know, the oh, goalkeepers are not fit. Like when we have fitness tests, you know, I run them with the team and I, um, fitness is so big for me. And I, that helps me. One of the things that helps me feel confident is being fit and, um, you know, cardiovascularly and, you know, muscularly and just make that helps me, um, continue and have like a great week and not get fatigued so easily. And, um, but yeah, in training, goalkeepers our loads are really really high because the intensity of the goalkeeper specific training that we do and then 
basically a game day is potentially potentially like a light day honestly um which is good that means you know our team has done their job you know but um you know if not like obviously sometimes we'll get a lot of bumps and bruises and be like oh my goodness but um we're definitely more explosive um but i think honestly that is another tough part is if you're standing around a lot and then you have to call on your body to perform at 100% immediately. Like that is actually um, takes some time to work on. So that's, but also, you know, one thing in the college level and the professional level is goalkeepers use their feet a lot. We're getting back passes. We're playing the ball out. Like we want to be engaged in the game. And so um, whether that be through communication or playing the ball out of the back. Um, so just always you know yeah Daniel one of the things if if a goalie is any good and and I I mean this all the way down to my daughter's level all the way up to theirs or and even younger a good goalie controls the defense they're communicating with everyone and like she's saying they may pass it back or um they they may even leave the box to come out and help and so um a goalie isn't just always dormant I will say this I saw a video was it today or yesterday of you diving around everywhere did you get some did you get some bruises on that one Actually, I feel pretty good. <laughs> you know, I yeah. um, normally after we do some of the diving, I feel it the next day. But um, yeah, that was a really, really fun video to film. And um, we have a great social media team and just making some really fun content for our fans and for us. It's really cool. Yeah, I uh, I mean, not just you diving around, Daniel. I, I keep wanting to sell you on this. And I, I want to say one other thing about women's soccer. And for anybody who's listening, I don't care. I, I play soccer and I'm a guy, but women are so much more physical. You're talking about bruises. I mean, whether, once again, whether we're talking about the younger level or we're talking about your level, I mean, it kind of looks like hockey at times, the way y'all just be shoulder checking each other and knocking each other down. It's I mean that that old Miss LSU game did not let down. Uh, there was a there was a couple times where y'all just I mean knocking each other out. I know mm-hmm. one old Miss girl got away with completely laying a girl out. I think mm-hmm. the rest were on the wrong side, but that's neither <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But uh, I will give you one more question, and then I'm going to let you uh, play a game with Daniel. And this question is mm-hmm. uh, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but the the number one plan that you have, and then what's the backup plan? for when you're done with college? When I'm done with college, I am going to go play professional soccer. And whether that be, I would love to enter the draft here in the NWSL, um, but also I'd love to go play internationally as well. So that is the plan. And I'm really, really excited to see with that platform what I'll be able to do, like helping the special needs and um, whether that be um, then after that, maybe some public speaking, um, definitely getting involved in faith and um, inspiring others, maybe doing some writing, maybe some stuff like that. So we'll see. And then I also have my education and my, I'll have my degree in elementary and special education if, you know, when I'm done playing professional, if I want to go back to that um, or, you know, maybe I'm really starting to like feel led to, you know, our special education system in the schools and um, really want to start leading some more education reform in that 
um, category with the special education system. You, so. you might land a job with Daniel there because I don't know if you know, but he's an assistant principal of a school. And I mean, he's probably getting excited listening to you talk about this opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, we're here, we're currently in a tough time. I mean, uh, the virus has, you know, ha I mean, the effects just on the job market in general has been detrimental and on education, given the fact that we have kids displaced, we have families displaced, um, a lot of virtual learning, a lot of people doing a lot of different forms of education. I mean, we're having to cut units. Uh, we're having to like piece together as we go. It's, it's, it's really sad because the, the group of kids that need the most support are those that are, are labeled, you know, exceptional mm -hmm. student education. And that's unfortunately, they don't get the level of support they need. So it's refreshing to hear that there are people out there that still want to hop in that field and, and, and they're called to serve in that capacity. So, um, you know, I, I, I commend you for that. It's, it's not a, it's, it's not a lucrative job, but it's probably one of the most uh, inspirational. It's one of the biggest things that you can do that make a difference. So, um, you know, just being in the education field, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, if, if, if things don't work out on the soccer field and you're, you have this calling, I, you know, I'm big on hiring the right people that, want to do it so let me know like i will hire you in a second so also no i no, gotta jump no so, so there you go you got a job already you're you're good to go no i will touch on that there is no plan b soccer is my plan that is my plan to go um but definitely when you know i'm gonna take advantage of my health and my body at a young age so i'm gonna play till i can't so then after that well, i'm gonna we tell everybody who comes on here that, you know, mo most of the athletes across the board, including yourself, are already um, got a great future ahead of themselves. But when you come on here, it solidifies that you're going to that you're going to go to the next level. So just just know that you you coming on here already locked that up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. So, Grace, we're going to we're going to move into our, our last little segment. It's, it's a game. Um, we like ending our guest segments with like a little lighthearted fun. So, you know, we learned a lot about you on the soccer side, but we kind of want to know about you on like a friendly fun side. So we're going to play a game called this or that. Mm -hmm. You ready? Yes. Ready. All right. So here are the rules you give two options you choose option one or option two the only rules are you can't say both and you can't say neither okay pretty simple right awesome, awesome. you got a 4.1 like you you can you can handle this game positive <laughs> okay. all right so would you rather score a game-winning goal or would you, would you rather win the game by a game saving like like save oh definitely a save Yes. So Absolutely. you, you never like, you're never in the goal and you're just like, man, I'd like to be able to just like run down the field and like score a goal. Like that'd be sweet. Um, I've definitely had thoughts. I, I mean, actually when I was a senior in our fields, 
if we ever played on a field that was a bit shorter, I would always tell my coach, like, let me kick the free kick if it was at, like, midfield or something. But she never would let me. So I was thinking, you know what, maybe I'll just stick to saving goals if I'm <laughs> – if um, yeah. But I think if there was ever, like, a corner kick or something in the last, like, 10 seconds of the game, maybe I'll run up there. But I don't know what the odds are. But <laughs> – So have you ever – I'm just curious because I've ne I've never seen this happen, but have you or have you seen or known anybody that was a goalie that from the goal kicked the ball all the way to the other end and scored a goal? Yeah, I've actually done that myself. Nice. <laughs> I was waiting for the Ole Miss goalkeeper to do it against them. Her leg power was insane. <laughs> yeah, when um, – yeah. I've actually done it from a punt. How does that happen? Is that, yeah. is, that, is that luck? Is that you doing it by design or it was a breakdown on the other team defensively? How does that happen? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything, honestly. It's like um, first you got to make good contact on the ball and then <laughs> everything else is like, the team's like, what the heck? And then the goalkeeper's like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> Daniel, you have to appreciate that because Daniel was a punter um, for our football team. That wasn't all he did. He, he, he played offense and defense as well, but he also punted. Yeah. And Daniel, I mean, the soccer field is the length of a football field, brother. That means that's some serious punt power. That's, that is false. I've been on a soccer field at RAN, and it is it feels much bigger than a football field. <laughs> no, it is so. yardage-wise. It, it may feel different, but it is. So, I mean, that's why I can't play soccer, because if I was a goalie, every time that would be my mentality. I'm going to score a goal. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I'm going to kick this ball as far as I can and hope I get lucky. They would kick. They would definitely kick me off the team. They do. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I've had coaches be like, "Come on, just stop kicking it so long. Like, <laughs> just like calm it down. Stop trying to kick it." Yeah. So, next question: Would you rather have money, or would you rather have friends? Friends. I think um, coming to uh, true friends. Honestly, yeah coming to college and um, I really, obviously there's no family here. So the importance of true friends is huge. And like, I've been blessed with just the greatest friends that support me and I support them. And, you know, we love each other for like who we truly are. And so, um, you know, I think in like, this is my first time that I've had just like friends that you know I love so much as sisters and so it's just it's incredible to have really great true friends yeah I would I would say I mean talent is is important but having a close group of people that believe and trust and just like and love each other is almost way it's way more important than putting all the talent in the world on a field that can't get along with each other. So, mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Would, would you, are you a texter or a caller? Would you rather text or call? Definitely call because, oh my goodness. When I 
first of all, I like the Snapchat thing where you can never like go back and reread your messages because sometimes I'll go back and reread and I'm like, like if I'm in messages, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, why did I say that <laughs> kind of thing? So I like definitely calling, I think um, uh, we're able to just, you know, have a conversation nice and quick instead of um, just going back and forth several little times, especially with the little amount of free time I have being a student athlete, I think calling is just like super quick and a lot better. Daniel, what she probably uh, meant was when she goes back and sees grammatical errors, she loses her mind. <laughs> oh, I, I hate when I make grammatical errors in a text. I would, I'm a caller anyways. Yeah. I, um, texting, like if, if in group text, I'm probably the world's worst about responding Mm-hmm. or even looking at them if there's a lot of people in it. Um, I would rather pick up the phone and make a phone call and spend like some some really good quality time on the phone with whoever it is that I'm trying to get a hold of. I can't read emotion very well through text. Yeah. I don't, like I can't give off passion through text. So it's a lot, for me, it's more beneficial through a call. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I totally get you on that. Yeah. Um, would you rather fast forward to the future or go back in the past? Um, I'd like to, hmm, probably go in the future. Um, I don't think there's anything in the past that like I would redo or do differently. Um, definitely things that have, um, happened to me have definitely just strengthened me and so it would be exciting to go to the future and to see like um you know what god's plan is for me so that would be cool yeah if i was going to pick an answer to that question for you just based on what we what we've talked about um i would probably say yeah you are a, a firm believer in that the past is what molds you into the person that you are. And the past was meant to be because it's, it was written for you. So going back to the past, it would be hard for you to see it any other way. Mm-hmm. So um, if you had to get rid of one, would it be ice cream or cookies? Get rid of like... Like never have a ever again. Ooh, ice cream. I love, I'm a cookie monster. I love cookies. (laughs) What's your favorite cookie? Chocolate chip. Just, you know, good old chocolate chip. Traditional, wrong with with chocolate chip. If you had to choose one, would you rather have bad breaths or would you always be sweating? Oh, it's tough i know it's i would say um always have bad breath because now with the masks and everything that doesn't matter (laughs) but if i'm sweating we have a problem so (laughs) so right now 2020 i'd be all right with the bad breath (laughs) i I think i'd take bad breath too like one of the things i hate more than anything is just just sweating profusely mm-hmm. with like with without cause like if i'm working out or i'm outside running around like i get it but like 
I just don't want to be standing around sweating. That's just uncomfortable and miserable. Absolutely. So would you rather listen to music or read books? Mm, listen to music. What's your yeah. go-to what's your go-to song for pregame? Mm. Doesn't um, have to be a song, it could be an artist. Um actually my I would say go-to song would be swag surfing. Yes, yeah. LSU. <laughs> yeah. Um, shocker. <laughs> shocker. I, I would have made that her intro song now that I know that, but since Cameron yeah. Crump already got that for his intro song, I can't do it again. Well, I'm I'm sure you'll figure out something. Oh no, she, she's already she's already got hers. I just can't reveal it. It's always fun when neither of y'all oh. know when you get to hear it when it gets dropped. Oh wow. <laughs> I, I don't even know what these songs are. <laughs> what'd you um, what'd you th- Daniel? I know I know I'm cutting into her this or that segment, but what'd you think about the trap violinist last week? Did that catch you off guard? Yeah, I didn't I thought I was listening to the wrong podcast for a minute. <laughs> I was like, man, I was I was proud that you like that was different and you branched out, but I was definitely concerned that i wasn't listening to the right podcast i found a way to find a song that kind of had country rap and rock all into one (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was good it was good i liked it so would you rather be a vocal leader or you would you rather lead by example oh um i think lead by example because if you're vocal but you don't lead by example I think there could be an issue so um I think example is 100% you've got to walk the walk before you talk the talk so I like that I like that so this is my last one all right and this is one that I'm starting to ask all the 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 young the young folks that we bring on the show because it's it's something that I have trouble grasping the concept of how this is possible. So would if you were gonna go on a date, would you rather someone ask you through social media or face to face? When I say social media, it could be like a Facebook message. It could be a DM. It could be, you know, uh, a a a tweet. You name it. Like I, I, we brought some cats on here that have told us crazy stuff, and it's it's ridiculous. So, which one would you prefer? Hmm. I would definitely prefer for. Like, I think it's really traditional if a guy asks a girl out in person. I think that's, like, really cute. That takes a lot of guts to do. And so I would definitely prefer that. But I do understand, like, maybe if, you know, you won't see that person for a while, but you want to, you know, you do want to go out with them or something. So um, then I... Like, I would not be opposed to being asked on a date through, like, social media or something. Or, like, well, I would prefer to know the person 
personally, not just like a tweet from a random person. That wouldn't happen. But um, yeah, so I think there's different circumstances, but I would, it would definitely mean a lot if it was in person. So. And remember, they can always pick up the phone and call. True. Yes, that would be. And, and hang up three times before they get to the fourth phone call where they actually say that it's them and ask and have already made themselves <laughs> look silly. That's how it used to be back. That's, I mean, that's what I did back in the day in middle school. You get at least one or two hangups because I'd be nervous. And we, we would write it down and practice what we were going to say. And then when that person actually picked up, what we wrote down was not even close to what came out of our mouth. So it's. <laughs> and then, and then caller ID, and then caller ID got invented and we were screwed because you better be ready to say it on the first go. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because you couldn't hang up anymore, and, and it was just bad. But you're off the hot seat, Grace. Is there anything that you personally want to plug or promote? And, and when I say this, you can talk about LSU soccer. You can talk about clubs that you're a part of, fundraisers that you're a part of, just charities, anything you know that runs the gamut. What, anything you want us to, to reach out and try to push for you? Um, I would say we would love some more fans at some LSU soccer games. Absolutely. And your Tigers are going to be winning some games and making our fans proud. So, um, yeah. And our support on our social media, LSU soccer is great, but, um, yeah. So I've really, really enjoyed this and, uh, Hope that those listening, whether that be now or honestly 10 years in the future, that like hopefully something I've said could maybe inspire you to just like keep pushing through adversity. So, well, I want to wish you the best of luck. Just know that, you know, we're rooting for you guys, we're praying for you guys. We hope that, you know, you guys have a lot of success, whether it's, it's a ton of wins in the win column or not just know like your story, what you've overcome and just you like living every day to the best that you can is, is the biggest win that you can have. So um, thanks for joining us on the in off the bench podcast and hopefully we'll have you back on. We'll be talking about an sec championship and you know, your push to professional soccer life. Yes, absolutely. I would love that so much. Thanks you so much for having me. Yeah. All right, Grace, go on, get your, your eight, plus hours of sleep so you're ready to <laughs> kick some butt tomorrow uh, thank you <laughs> ladies and gentlemen that's grace mcclellan the lsu women's soccer goalkeeper we're going to take a quick break we're going to plug these sponsors you got to make that money y'all and then come back we got some headlines for you welcome back to the in off the bench podcast it's time for headlines and jim it was a somber weekend for sports um but nonetheless, we're going to push on. We're going we're gonna to give everybody what they want. We're going to talk headlines um, tonight. But we're going to start with the NBA. The finals are here, and it's the Lakers and the Heat. And up until last night, it looked like this finals was going to go the way of the Lakers, and, and it really wasn't going to be much of a series. It, it was the Heat with – just being decimated by injuries and just really just looking overmatched. But 
I'll ask you, Jimmy Butler comes out, triple-double, 40 points last night, gets his team to win with not a whole lot of extra help. They have, It's a two-to-one series. Do the Heat actually have a chance, or was that just a special night for a special player, and we're going to go back to the Lakers doing what the Lakers do? I believe it was a special night for a special player, and more so – Shout out to the Tim Leglers of the world, the Jay Williams of the world. They predicted the Lakers to win in five, but they said that Miami would get game three. And the reason they said that was, is they said, you know, L.A.'s feel like they got this in the bag. You know, they're going to kind of take their foot off the gas pedal and it's going to leave an opening. And if Miami wants it, they can take it. And – you know, these guys know basketball way better than we do, and they called it because not only did the Lakers take their foot off the gas, somebody wanted it, the very guy you're talking about. I mean, we're talking about 40, 13, and 11 on 14 of 20 shooting in an NBA Finals game. You know, I mean, that's, that's beyond impressive. But I think when I look on the other end, Anthony Davis taking only nine shots tells me – the lack of engagement. I mean, he's been taking 20-plus shots every other game. Um, I think they did take their foot off the gas. I think this will motivate them. Um, Jimmy getting a lot of attention. You know, LeBron says he doesn't care. He does care. Um, and they'll go right back to business next game. But for Miami fans, for people who like Jimmy Butler, uh, it was probably – it gave them something for this for this finals. Um, one hope for them is – Daniel, I mean – They'll be getting banned back uh, by all reports. So, I mean, we've seen crazier things, right? But as far as I know from me and you talking and listening to experts, um, this thing's still a done deal. So there's there's no way next next Monday you and I are talking about and breaking down Lakers Heat Game 7. I just I just don't see it, man. Because every every time, you know, LeBron James just lets up a little bit, he decides to just kick it to another gear. And I've learned this season, last season, and every other season before to just stop doubting him. Um, he'll turn it up. Anthony Davis will get a high volume of shots. Um, they'll probably try to make sure that anybody other than Jimmy Butler beats him. And so unless, you know, Tyler Hero – or Duncan Robinson come out and have one of those games where they're just making every shot. I just don't see it. So did did Miami do anything that led us to believe that there's they have the Lakers figured out? Mm-hmm. No, not really. I mean, I don't believe so. I just – I think it was what you said. I think it was it – was, a heroic effort because if you even look at the stat lines of the other players, I mean, there wasn't anybody that was just standout phenomenal. It wasn't like the rest of the heat games throughout the playoffs where, because, you know, Dragic ain't even playing where you had big games from Dragic or bam, right? Like you had a bunch of players scoring anywhere between 12 and 15. I mean, good all around team game, but no, nobody else was like big numbers. Like this, this was him just putting them, on his back. And I think it's another, you know, another thing that Jimmy Butler can say. I mean, he's all year, he's been putting this team on his back and, you know, at least for one game, he's just solidified the player he is. So the last thing I want to hit on with, in regards to NBA finals is 
With 10 seconds to go, LeBron starts making his exit off the court. Does that bother you or, you know, it is what it is? If it was any other player, maybe it would bother me. But with him, I think it is what it is. I mean, he does he does what he wants to do, right? You know what? Fuck that. Like I I'm not about to give him a pass because he's LeBron James. You are LeBron James. You are the face of the league. For all the things that you stand up for, that is that is right then keep your butt on the court, finish out the game, show a little respect, and if anything, stop taking the direction away from Jimmy Butler in a great performance and putting it on yourself for walking off the court because really that's what happened. Like, go out there, tell everybody good game. If you want to be mad about it, be mad about it, but don't, don't, be, don't be immature. Like, be a professional and stay out there. When the game's over, then the game's over. But, I mean, are you really surprised? I mean, LeBron, for for all that he does right, he makes a lot of mistakes, has he not, over time? And he's shown to be very selfish and immature at times as well. Well, if I was the Lakers management, I would only pay him for – I would pay him for all the time of that game except for the last 10 seconds. Which is probably a lot of money for him. (laughs) <laughs> right. And I, I would make it a point of letting him know that. And that might sound petty, but like, it, that's just the type of person I am. You, you win and you lose and you're, you're, you're gracious either way, but be professional, stay out there. Um, but I don't want to get too fired up because I, I got, when we talk NFL, I'm going to get fired up. So, Let's uh let's let's cool off a little bit. Let's talk let's talk MLB. Uh, currently, we got the playoffs rolling on. You got the Rays and the Yankees, the A's and the Astros for the American League. You got the Braves and the Marlins and the Padres and the Dodgers for the National League. Um, let's let's talk about some of these surprises. I mean, anybody in, in the American League surprising to you by by still being in it and winning in the first round? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be the way the Twins were easily dismantled, right? We obviously knew what Houston had, but I just didn't expect it to go that way. And then they did it again today, to be honest, not to get too far ahead, but they looked like they were – I was in the seventh inning thinking about how we were going to talk about it tonight, about how uh, the A's who were rooting for get it done, and then the Astros did what they do. I mean – they're, they're so talented, right? It, that's that's what makes what they did so bad because they're good and they should be fun to watch, but they're not because you know them as cheaters. And so we said we wanted the Twins. The Twins were the, better, were the better team all year. They were a more deserving team, and they were a better story. And so that's – I mean, that's the biggest surprise, and that's the one that I know that you had to have hate just as much as I did. Yeah, I think the Astros – for me being there personally were a surprise. I, I think, you know, they played mediocre baseball at best through the season. They, you know, landed a spot in the playoffs and, you know, they, they, they end up winning, you know, two games of a three game series, which I think in a three game series, like it's, it's a, it's a coin flip. Like, um, 
but now here they are up a game on the A's and clearly like between you and I, like neither one of us want the Astros to win, but you know, they're, they're continuing to do what world champions, I guess, do. Well, and and they they would be the first team on why I wouldn't like this new format. I've absolutely loved this new format, but they would be the first team because they shouldn't even be, be here, right. For this opportunity. And, and so, because uh, the rest of it was chalk in the American League, that was the only one that went like that. And so, you, you hated that that they did that. Uh, and and you know, like like I said, because of their history, you you don't want them to be there. Um, and I hated even more that they beat the Athletics because you know that's obviously we've talked about it enough. That's who we want to meet the Rays. And so, I mean, they, they they did all that today. I don't know if you saw the highlights or any of the game. I only saw the highlights. Um, all of that on a two-out rally late, uh, I think it's eighth inning. Uh, I thought I thought the A's had them. Yeah, I mean, I was I was getting snapshots of the game, you know, early on, and it was it seemed like all indicators pointed to the A's. Just you know, they were up early. They you know, we're cruising, and then, you know, they, like you said, I guess they had uh, one bad inning where it kind of fell apart, but um, I I don't, you know, in, in a five-game series, it's it's probably a little bit easier to lose that first game and, and keep pressing forward, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely hard to, to lose that first game and, and, and push through, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. If anybody's gonna gonna do it, I think the A's. Gotta, I mean, gotta, the gotta A's gotta bounced back play. nicely to that the game one loss to the White Sox in the opening round. So, I very mean, true. As far as the as far as the other ones, I mean, your boys in the race. I mean, looking looking like a number one seed, right? Well, I mean, right now they're currently down five to three um, in the ninth. They it looks like they gave up a run here in the top of the ninth. They got one out, but um, you know the the Rays, the Rays are a team where if they lose the first game, like I I'm concerned, but just the consistency that of which they played, I don't I don't get overly worried. What does worry me is that you're facing a, a high-powered offense in the Yankees, and it, your pitching has to has to be stacked. Um, and you, you can't give up a lot of mistakes. So well, I like your game two matchup with Glasnow against Garcia. So um, if, if this does slip away, I do like y'all in game two. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the pitching matchup is, you know, tonight it, it's – it was Snell against Garrett Cole. And I mean, obviously that's going to go to the Yankees because Garrett Cole is, is who he is. I mean, um, Snell had, had a great season, but Garrett Cole is, is definitely one of the best pitchers in baseball, highest paid pitcher in baseball. And he's got an offense behind him that swings the sticks. So, um, hopefully, you know, they, they can get out of this, this, this ninth inning only down two runs and maybe they can put something together in the bottom of the ninth. We'll, we'll, we'll see, but, you know, moving on to the national league, I think the biggest surprise of ever of, of in baseball in general is the Marlins, the Marlins, 
uh, tomorrow we'll take on the Braves and the Padres are going to take on the Dodgers. I think, you know, we predicted Padres and Dodgers. I think Marlins were that team that we were all like still, still shocked about how they're there. I couldn't tell you a single player on the Marlins team. Uh, no, I think we actually made that joke at some point um, when we were talking about them through the the whole COVID thing. And then they got there, and when we were doing predictions, I told you I picked the Cubs still, but I told you I wouldn't be surprised because everything was weird about this whole Marlin story to begin with. And so it, it just continues to, to go that direction. And like you said, shout out to uh, the organization for um, obviously putting together – a winning team, yeah. I, I'm I'm pulling up their roster right now just because you made that joke, and yeah, I'm just I'm not I'm not too familiar too. They're they're winning with a bunch of guys that I don't know. Like I I'm I, I feel like I'm more than just a regular casual baseball fan. I think so, I know Star Starling Marte is is about him and Corey Dickerson. They're about it. So, would you chalk the Marlins up to good general management and good, you know, direction under Derek Jeter, or would you just chalk it up to this is a strange year and, you know, anything could happen? The reason why I'm going to give it to management instead of strange years because has not the rest of the way it's all played out been chalk other than that? Right, like all the best teams, all the most projected to win coming into this season teams are the ones that are winning. That's the one anomaly. Very true. So let's let's talk expectations. Um, Rays and Yankees, who are you expecting to take that series? I've been with you uh, the whole way as far as the American League. They were the odds-on favorite to start. There's no reason to change now. Uh, give me the raise still. I feel you. I'm right there with you. I just um, if you have as much hatred for the Yankees as most people do, it's it. No matter what, it, it could be, you know, they could lose the next game, and you would still like. I would still predict the raise. Like that's well. That's let me ask my... you. Let me ask you this: If for whatever reason the Rays were to lose the Yankees. Would you then flip on the other series and want the Astros to win? No. You don't want Yankees to get vengeance on them? No. I'd rather the A's win and the A have – I'd rather root for the A's to beat the Yankees than to see the Astros. And the I was just curious because we, we talked about that all season, about how the fact that um, the Dodgers and the Yankees weren't going to get their their chances at these boys – even though, even though I said this before, I think it would be very ironic, and I think it would be fitting for this year if the Astros and the Dodgers played each other again. So, um, you know, I, I I don't want to root for the Astros or the Yankees by any means, but I think if they end up playing each other, I think as long as the Dodgers are still in it, I'm I'd want to see the the Astros. So shifting over to the A's and Astros, Astros up one game to nothing. Who you got? I'm going to stick with the A's, man. I'm, I want this A's race thing. You, I mean, you had me 
you had me locked in from beginning. I go back to last year when I watched that game in the Coliseum. I go back to watching the wild card game between those two teams. They've been doing nothing but progressing, doing it with uh, low payrolls. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's get those two in there. Well, so just a, a quick little update. Top of the ninth, the Yankees have blown it open. Um, Stanton just hit a a bomb to center field, which scored uh, – it was a three-run bomb. So, it's now nine to three, so with one out in the top of the ninth. So, Ray's got a lot of catch-up to do and only three outs to do like it. I, said, I feel, I feel good. trying to make with, it out of the inning. I still – you know, chalk this one up. I still feel good with who they got on the mound. He's been money all year. Hey, I feel you. All I know is I'm excited. So, I mean – play from behind and, and, you know, just play loose and play fun. And I think what that's what the Rays have been doing. As long they need as they to put can, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning cardboard cutouts in the stadium, get a little luck there. I mean, unfortunately, everybody, like, we're playing in San Diego. So there's – we're at the mercy of, of playing in the, the semi-bubble, I guess. So in, in the National League, you got the Braves and the Marlins it is – are we deviating from the Marlins, or are we going to still ride the Marlin train? Okay, so we're in a dilemma with this podcast because, I'm, I'll be honest with you, Daniel, half, half our guests have been Braves fans. Probably half our listeners are Braves fans. And so I really don't want to go against them, even though the Marlins story is good. So whether, whether we're talking about Cameron and Dylan or any of them um, – Connor, like I said, you can go down the list. Uh, and then Austin Riley, I mean, you know, he may possibly be a guest coming up. So, we, we got to root for the Braves. As a matter of fact, I root for Austin Riley to be the MVP of the series. Remember, remember that time when baseball first started and we had the podcast titled Magic City Marlins and we were talking about the Marlins and their COVID issues and then – they came back, and what happened? Winning games. I mean, they were the hottest team, and they're like, they're still rolling. So I mean, go back to what I said. I said, why did the worst team in baseball have to go out and get COVID and mess everything up? And them dudes just come back and slap me in the face with that comment. Yep. So I, I've, I'm gonna go off of of what's happened in the past and say that the Braves are going to squander their opportunity and the Marlins are going to keep rolling. So then that leaves us with the Padres and the Dodgers. And I think, I mean, I'm going to go Dodgers. I I think they are the best team in baseball and I, I think they're, they're due to win it. I think Kershaw is an incredibly talented guy that, you know, deserves a ring. Like, so I, I, I'm pulling for them, but it's, it, it is hard because they're playing a very, very young team in the Padres that it, they're playing loose, they're playing relaxed, and they have a lot of fun. I don't know if there's anybody having more fun than them. So um, how, do you, how do you see that series going? I think I I told you that the winner of the Cardinals Padres series was who I was going to be rooting for, and I don't know it was the weirdest thing. Like I hated 
losing. Obviously, I hate for any team I root for to lose. But the Padres are fun to watch, man, and they're never out of it. And they have the kind of lineup that could rock Kershaw. And so uh, I don't, they don't have really great pitching. I noticed that in the Cardinals series. I mean, Cardinals were put for two games at least, put up runs at a, a higher than normal rate. Um, so I don't know how they'll do it with their pitching, but I know they got the bats. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Padres. All right, all right. So, I mean, I guess you can't go wrong there. I mean, you're taking the best team or you're taking – you're going to get a team that's having the most fun. So, e- either way, it, it's it's going to set up for an interesting matchup the next series. And, you know, hopefully this time next week we're talking about, you know, uh, NLCS matchups and ALCS matchups. But – you know, now it's time, Jim, and I. I mentioned the. I mentioned you having to probably hold me back a little bit, but we've reached the the part of the episode where we're going to start talking about the NFL, and I'm going to give you the platform to speak, and I, I want you to to just give me an overview of this week's games, and then break down the Saints game, and then. We'll talk Bucks, and then I'll go into the Cowboys to to end it because I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna need that to 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 end because you're gonna have to probably cut me off. I got you. So uh, overview. I want to already said something earlier, but shout out to Joey B and the Bengals. I'm um, getting his first W. I guess the next game I want to address is the Vikings-Texans because we had a discussion and uh, we said who was going to be the first coach fired. And the guy I had my money on, um, it was him, Bill O'Brien, 0-4. And because you have general managing responsibilities and you traded away DeAndre Hopkins, which was the worst move ever, and then you started 0-4, you got to go, man. It's just that's the way it works. Uh, you can't be that bad, and that's unfortunately one of my wild card picks for uh, our projections. Do you do you think that um, that the Falcons coach was just lucky that his game was on a Monday night? Because uh, it's it's I mean, quite I, possible, especially with the way the game's currently going. Because I mean, I I think the 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 Texans have have pulled the trigger and they've like they've ripped the the, the band aid off the wound. So I think like now Atlanta is going to be like, all right, well one team's already done it, so we can go ahead and do it. Right. Well, check this out. All right. This this is a reason for firing right here. So I'm looking at the stats for the current game, and Aaron Rodgers has 300 yards passing and four touchdowns, no interceptions. And he doesn't even have Devontae Adams or Alan Lazard. So, without his top two wide receivers, he's absolutely shredding Atlanta team. And then Atlanta, well, you think at least they might put up points. I mean, they're not even doing that. They got they got two touchdowns. And so, I think it's, I think it's time. It's appropriate. He's going to be the second one out the door. I think it was, like you said, they got lucky. He had the Monday night game. But, I mean, just Atlanta Atlanta was supposed to not, you know, be some immaculate playoff team, but they weren't supposed to be this. 
That's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you're, you've got the talent and they're underperforming, but I think that they're just still reeling from the fact that they gave up such a big lead in the Super Bowl. Like, I, I think that's this, they may have started what the Cubs curse was, and this is just going to be a long, long, long line of, of rough seasons up until the point that they finally break through. And I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's next year or maybe it's a hundred years from now, but um, they, they got a lot of work to do. And at some point you have to make changes. And with the way that the NFL is, it's usually changes from the top. So um, if, if they, they are starting to try to make it a game, but if they do get blown out of this game, I could easily see that, that, you know, being the next change. Um, All right. So I got a question for you as I continue to go down this list, I sent you a text and I can't remember. I don't think you ever responded on Sunday. This is something that I've been adamant about since last year. And I'm even more adamant about it now. I don't care how well he runs. Com- convince me that Lamar Jackson's a good quarterback, Daniel, because I watched the dude throw, and he's not. I don't care what anybody says. And I go back to even last year's Pro Bowl where they had the competition, and he only hit, like, two targets, like, and lost to Jarvis Landry. And, like, to give you, like, some, some you know, overall emphasis, Russell Wilson hit 19. Like – Lamar Jackson only threw for as many yards as he did last year is because when he runs around like crazy, guys get open. You don't have to make tough throws. I don't see how Baltimore can win a Super Bowl being a one-trick pony because they are just a run offense. So I'm going to disagree with you because the guy is – arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the league statistic wise he may not put up the pass numbers that others do but neither did a guy like Michael Vick who could definitely he could throw the ball down the field but he could also run but I don't think the Ravens need him to throw the ball down the field like why why would you need to take shots 40 50 yards down the field when you can throw 10 or 15 yard passes that get you the same amount of yards like those well, are safe I, th- I think the only reason cuz you brought up Michael Vick I think the only reason Lamar Jackson's having success is because that defense is on the other side of the ball Michael Vick never had that in Atlanta Oh there goes there we go talking about Atlanta again but <laughs> Yeah I mean it's I think Lamar Jackson is a great player and I think he can win a Super Bowl. I totally disagree with you in the fact that he, in my opinion, he doesn't have to throw the ball down the field to win games. Okay. So let me ask you this. We are, we already know because we did our projections before the season and we know about the chiefs, but let's go to the team that me and you both, I believe put in the AFC championship with them. And it wasn't Baltimore. I know I did. Maybe you didn't. And it was Buffalo. You tell me right now, head to head, he'd play. He could out. He could out duel Josh Allen because I don't think so. I mean, when you say out duel, like that's like lead his team to victory. That? I think it's a coin flip. 
I think Buffalo overall probably has a better team. But if you're putting, if you're saying that Lamar Jackson can't beat the Buffalo Bills, you're you're still that's just being silly. I'm not saying he can't beat them, but I mean, if you got to have a two minute drive to win the game, he's not going. I mean, he's not going to get it done. I don't know. I'm just not a believer. And, I'm not, and, I'm jo- not and Josh Allen is right now. He is Josh Allen. Josh Allen would be if it wasn't for Russell Wilson would be the front runner for MVP. Tell me what happened to Josh Allen last year in a big game. They choked, but what is exactly. what does Lamar Jackson do in his game? They choked. Yeah, but if, who did they lose to? The Titans, dude. Don't even get me started. <laughs> so hold, so hold on. So they lose to the Titans. Who? What's the Titans' record right now? Three and zero. Oh, so well, three, and one, say- three and one. Three and one because they lost to COVID this week. Well, that doesn't count. That doesn't count as a loss. But like they were gonna, we, they were gonna catch an L this week for what it's worth. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. You all right? Now you're putting a you're now you're putting a name on the jersey and saying they're better than them, surely by what the name on the jersey says. They're three and zero also. Okay. Yes, but that doesn't. You're you're totally discounting the Titans being able to beat them because it's the Steelers. I watched what Minnesota did to the Titans the week before. They should have lost that game. You see what Justin Jefferson – you see Justin Jefferson do the gritty going into the end zone on the Titans? Look, I got you all – look, I, you know why you're all bent you out better, of shape? You better, ba- you better break down the Saints. That's, that's what you need to worry about. You know, right you know you're getting all bent out of shape because we're getting ever so closely to talking about Dallas. That, that's, that's your issue. But it's okay. I'll break down the Saints. Let's talk about it was 14 nothing Detroit five minutes into the game because there was a batted up ball. Um, and I thought to myself, dude, we're in trouble. And then the Saints turn around and score 35 unanswered. Um, the only problem I had in the game overall was they took their foot off the gas and it almost came back to bite them. Um, in this league, with as many comebacks as there has been um, with so many teams to start the season, I don't know why Sean Payton would go three consecutive drives where he went run, run, pass, um, and just gave them the ball back, but he did. And so it got close. But what I'll say, the takeaway, um, you know, I had a couple Detroit friends that uh, that texted me during the game that I was in the Navy with. Um, just They don't think they're a very good football team, um, and they said they shouldn't even be in that game. So I'm going to take it from some Detroit fans that – you know, Detroit maybe just really isn't that good. And as far as from the Saints side, um, Drew Brees threw um, a whole bunch of passes over 15 yards and completed them. So, starting to make me feel better about him. He's getting Emmanuel Sanders involved, which is a big deal. I mean, we, we acquired him for a reason. Um, Alva Kamara continues to cut up, um, starting to use Murray. And then defensively, I had real issue with Malcolm Jenkins coming in this season. I was I could not have been more excited that we picked him up. Uh, but then when he said what he said to Drew Brees, you know, regardless of how he felt, taking that to social media, um, had some negative feelings. But he is winning me back over. He is all over the field. He's leading that defense along with Demario Davis. So uh, there's some pl- there's some playmakers on the Saints team. Uh, they're starting to find their way back. Uh, they still need Michael Thomas though. And uh, still need to 
tune up a few things on defense, but um, the schedule's pretty for the next for the next few weeks is is pretty nice. So even though they're playing the Chargers next, who uh, you know you can share some light on in a minute, who played a lot better game than I would have ever expected on Sunday. So you know, leading into that, the, the Chargers did play better, but I think it was be, wasn't so much what the Chargers were doing it was what the bucks were letting them do um there was a pick six there you know it was just sloppy game the weather was bad um and to be honest you you had mike evans come out of the game for a couple series you don't have godwin ronald jones is is not a a a guy that is you're going to rely on heavily to run and, and, and win you some, some games and, and eat up some turf. So it really, Tom Brady played, he, Tom Brady did what he was brought in to do. And when you're down 24 to three and you make a comeback and you do that, that's exactly what you sign a guy like Tom Brady for. And he was throwing deep ball dimes. You know, I questioned if he could throw the long ball. And I know it's just one game. But, man, I looked up and I was watching some of those passes and I was like, okay, I will be quiet because clearly you still got it. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. They, they, lost, they lost to the Saints, but I, I still think that they're playing better football than the Saints. Like, I think Brady is playing better than Breeze. I think it – but I guess it's a hard comparison because Breeze doesn't have his, his best receiver. Well, no, I mean, you can't do that because Brady doesn't have Godwin. Yeah, but he's got Mike Evans. Like, if you're going to compare apples to apples, you're sure. not going to compare Godwin to Mike Michael Thomas. You're going to compare Mike Evans to Michael Thomas. Right, and you're not going to compare Emmanuel Sanders, the, the, the receiver that's left for the Saints, to Mike Evans. Which, by the way, man, shout out to Mike Evans in general. That dude was hobbled and still out there just beast mode on people. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what designation he has carrying in into this week's game. But, um, you know, he's he's a competitor. He wants to play. He's going to do everything in his power. He might, you know, sit out, you know, practice a couple of days this week. But I fully expect him to to be in the lineup. And I think Godwin hopefully will be back in the lineup as well. So, um I think we'll be back uh, close to full strength, and we'll see how it goes. But on to to the Cowboys. So we said it last week that Cowboys are lucky to be playing in the worst division in football. And it, it's after another week, I can easily say that some more. The, the NFC East is the worst division in football, 100%. It's terrible. Um, you know, the the one semblance of a positive note is that the Cowboys get to play the Giants, who are arguably worse than the Cowboys right now. So, you know, if, if that turns into be a bad day, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. But he, here's what I do know is that Dak is – putting up great numbers he's not doing the things that he needs to do as an elite quarterback he's not doing things that 
um, a Drew Brees would do. He's not doing things that a Tom Brady would do. He's not doing things that a Patrick Mahomes would do or a Lamar Jackson would do. And that's going down and, and leading his team down the field and winning games. Um, he had a silly turnover. He had, you know, I mean, the whole offense in the first half, there was three turnovers, one on, on Dak, another on Zeke, and, and we're just not protecting the football at all. Um, so on the offensive side, if you clean those things up, you might put your defense in a better position, but by no means is the defense going to escape this rant because they're pathetic. They're weak. They're running vanilla schemes and Mike Nolan and the linebacking crew and the secondary, like they need to man up because they're playing from behind every fucking game. And they're just, they're not that good. They're not good enough to play from behind and come back and win. They're like I said last week, they're one dummy falling down on the football away from not having a single win. And the, the Browns just beat the hell out of them on the running game. It, it had nothing to do with what Baker Mayfield did. Well, and, I've, and I think do. the problem with the run game thing is this was after Chubb went down, and it wasn't even just Kareem Hunt. They even talked about it in the game. There was a third and fourth string guy who came in and was gashing y'all, and I didn't even know who either of them were. Well, and – so you give up a reverse for big yardage to Beckham early in the game. And then they go back to the same fucking play at the end of the game when you need a stop and you miss a tackle for a loss. And then it's like the rest of the defenders were allergic to him because it seemed like they were around him, but they just didn't try to tackle him. So, like, and those, like, and for me, it's even more frustrating because I don't get to see the entire game here. I only get to see, like, what they show me in highlights and replays, and those are the things that stuck with me. So, like, you might have to tell me, because I think you said you were able to watch the entire game, like, is it as bad as I'm making it, or was it worse? Yeah, than I mean, I well, specifically with the defense, it's that bad. Um I believe that Cleveland could have put up more points. The They went a couple drives where they were just kind of trying to burn some clock. And then when Dallas started scoring, um, that's when the, the OBJ reverse happened. But, uh, I mean, they were just scoring at will. And it was too easy. Like you said, they were gashing them for runs. And then they get down the red zone and just throw the ball up to OBJ. And then even the wide receiver re- reverse pass, as beautiful as it was, because Landry um, put it right on um, Beckham. I mean, he had time. How does a wide receiver get time on a pass? And he had the time to line that thing up and just drop it in. And so the defense is terrible, man. You need at this point, you need to call more than Earl Thomas. I mean, find where's Darrell Revis at? He's got to be somewhere. I don't know, man. So got to put somebody in that secondary because they can't. They can't cover anybody. And in today's game, yeah, like you said, you'll win those division games. But against anybody who's good, especially in the NFC, the elite, um, whether we're talking about Green Bay or Tampa or New Orleans or Seattle, eat you alive. As 
as bad as Rob Marinelli was at times last year, I, I would prefer to have him right now. And I hate, I even hate to say this as bad as Wade Phillips was a few years ago. Like I, I would like to have him as a defensive coordinator. Like, yeah, I will say this as far as offense, Dak isn't getting it done in clutch time, but as far as the game, I have to feel somewhat bad for him because, I mean, he's having to keep pace with ridiculous amounts of points. And, yes, that's that's what he's wanting to get paid to do, and that's what elite-level quarterbacks do. So, I guess I can't really say I feel bad, but, man, it, it is a lot of pressure when you know that, hey, you're going into this game, you're going to have to hang 45 if you want to win. Yeah, and you, you can't continue to do that, and you can't, like, he's putting up fucking out-of-this-world numbers, but he's having no choice but to throw the football. So, like, whatever happened to Ezekiel Elliott, who was supposedly one of the best backs in the league, there was a time where that was the case, right? Am, am I mistaken? Nope. So, like, where, where like, you got to give yourself a chance to involve one of your best players and one of the best players in the league. And when you're constantly fighting from behind, that he they completely taken him out of, out of the the game plan. So, um, you know, looking looking at next week, got the Giants, and all I can do is just pray that there's there's a win, um, because. there's a pretty favorable schedule over the next one, two, three, four games for the Cowboys. They got the Giants, the Cardinals, the, the Washington football club, and then the Eagles before they jump into the Steelers Vikings. So, um, I mean, this is, these next four games are going to be the make or break. Like you, you lose these. If you don't win all four, you're making their your job even tougher. So because um, you brought up next week's schedule, Daniel, what if I told you that minus the Bills and Titans game on Sunday, easily the only competitive match as far as when you look at records and just what you know about teams is the the Bucks and the Bears on Thursday night. And I'm not even kidding. Run the I'm gonna run this down for you. Uh, I mean, the Chargers may be able to give the Saints some some competition on Monday, but Cardinals, Jets, Bengals, Ravens, Eagles, Steelers, Jaguars, Texans, Raiders, Chiefs, Rams, Washington, Panthers, Falcons, Dolphins, 49ers, Broncos, Patriots, uh, Colts, Browns. I'll take that back. I didn't see that one there, and I'm not used to the Browns actually being respectable. And then Giants, Cowboys, Vikings, Seahawks. I mean, there is a lot of – there is not very much attraction next week next week oh yeah that's some that's not a very good slate of games and i i don't i'm just trying to look at it in terms of like before the season started before anybody had any wins and losses i look at this schedule for this week and i still don't see it being like maybe the vikings and the seahawks would have been something we would have been like oh that might be a yeah no absolutely that i think that's why it was you know, Sunday night football is never a dud game. That was scheduled there for a reason. The way yeah. We all had the Vikings winning that division, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. 
Um, but uh, I will say um, the one good I will say about the Dallas loss is the Browns are three and one. And um, man, I feel like they're my second team for real, just because I'm the only person in the world that picked them. I need, I need them to make it to the playoffs. I don't care what they do once they get there, but I need them to get there. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, uh, I mean, I, I think, I think they have a pretty good shot looking at the teams now. I mean, you can. Well, their division though, if, if the Steelers stay being what the Steelers are and we know what the Ravens are, I mean, unless they get three teams in, which obviously we've seen happen uh, over a few times, but that's always the hardest. And I mean, that the biggest thing is they're going to have to start playing those teams. So, um, yeah, that that's gonna that's gonna make it tough. But as for right now, Browns fans just being at three and one, they said it um, during the game. They haven't been two games against five hundred uh, above five hundred. I think they said it. I mean, it was it's been years. So for for right now, Cleveland's feeling pretty good. I think that Bucks Bears. I think the Bucks will. The the Bears still haven't been that impressive, even when they were three and zero now three one. I think, I think if Mike Evans plays, I mean it'll still be a solid game. But I think the Bucks will will still bring the Bears back down to earth a little bit more, especially if yeah. Godwin and Evans play. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how's your mom? How's your, how are you and your mom gonna be friends this week? No, of course not. <laughs> she, she can go go hang out with Nick Foles. And they can go do their thing, but no, I, um, I, I predict the Bucks to, to win easily. I think they're gonna rectify some of the mistakes they had early against the Chargers this week. And I mean, I, I just don't know what, I don't know what the Bears have now. I might, they might prove us wrong. I mean, they, they got some receivers, but they got to have a quarterback that can throw them. And we'll see what old Nick. Nick can do. And I will and I will end on this as far as my last thoughts on NFL. You know, you were talking about if you beat the Giants as you should and talking about games going as they should. When you look at Rams playing Washington and you look at the Steelers playing the Eagles, there's no reason why the other teams in your division shouldn't definitely take an L and then y'all get yours. And so that doesn't fix everything in the world, but it gets you back to the top because it's just crazy that you're not at the top. And then go from there. Can you imagine that? Two leading the division at two and three. <laughs> the, the team leading the division right now holding the tie is the only reason they got it. That's what's funny. So let's let's talk fantasy. I know that we we're pretty in depth with the fantasy seasons. We we got multiple teams and. Just on, on on my standpoint alone, I have what what could be considered as one is one league is a, a low money, low payout, but more fun social league. The other league is a little like in the middle. It's not as much fun, but it the payout is good. Um, but then there's the league that you and I are in that's high money, high payouts ultra competitive a lot of shit talking people will trade like it's it's definitely a a legit league and the that league i'm faring the best in so i'll ask you is it in terms of being 
good in that league, should I expect to be good in every league? Or if the big money league is the league that I'm good at, should I just be okay with that? I mean, I would just be okay with that. You want to be good in all of them. But if there's one, especially because the bragging rights in this league for a year are so nice. And so um, the way it's going to fall, looking at it, uh, let's see, what did you score? All right, brother, I hate to tell you, but you're going to win from the third spot, but you're going to get jumped by me. That's fine. Unfortunately, Wes, who's probably the most annoying trash talker in our group, he's going to jump to one. Um, So I'm thinking it's going to be – I'll have to look at it. I'm not going to dissect it right now while we're doing a podcast, but I think it's going to be Wes one, me two, and you three, and uh, Daniel T four all holding that – that three and one record. And how about Daniel T? I know nobody knows anything about our uh, fantasy group, but he beat the commissioner, Frazier made by 0.7. So I know he's salty. He's waiting for some possible score adjustments. Like last year. That's what he's waiting on. I've never, I've never seen a score adjustment cause somebody a playoff victories. I, if I was on the wrong end of that, I'd be sick. I might never play again. It, it, it would be, you know what that would feel like, Daniel? It would feel like the uh, Minnesota miracle, just sick to your stomach. Uh, I hear you. So I'm, I'm faring pretty good, man. I'm three and one, and I got my two best receivers that are still not playing. Um, you and I had a blockbuster trade, um, which I think. I think it helped both of us, to be honest. Um, so. I got problems because Julio went down again tonight and Devontae still ain't playing. So I might have acquired CMC, but I might have – Devontae's on bye next week. Anyway, I may yeah. have Dev- no Devontae, no Julio, and no CMC next week. So I'm just going to be putting together whatever I can. Well, I think that's why winning this week for you was, was big. Um, so, you know, I, but I I think all will be right if CMC comes back. I think all the rest of that's not going to matter. Cause, but the, the question is, is, is he coming back? And if he does, well, the thing I does tried that to look learn, like? The thing I tried to learn, the reason I pulled that trigger on the trade with you is everyone told me, because, you know, I was the number one seed last year, and then I got housed in the playoffs. And um, – it's not. It doesn't matter if you finish first or sixth, you know, because, uh, you know, six teams going to the playoffs. It's about the team you're going into the playoffs with, and that was why I acquired CMC because especially with Carolina winning and going two and two, if they can stay competitive and, and have a reason to play him, because, you know, your worst fear is like they would have been 0 and 4, and then they'd be like, well, there's no reason I'm bringing them back. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm looking for guys who can – hit home runs come playoff time instead of me finishing with the number one seed and then going in and playing somebody who's red hot. Cause it's like that. It's like that in real sports. It don't even get to be fantasy sports. You know, that coming in yeah. hot is well more important than holding the top spot. Absolutely. Um, I'm just happy to be winning in this league. <laughs> you so. got more wins in four weeks than you did all of last year, my friend. No, it's, it's, it's a good feeling. So 
Um, let's, they, wel- let's... they welcomed you back with open arms after last year. Of course they did. And I told them, I said, this is going to be a true comeback story. It's going to be a, a, a Disney Channel exclusive when I win it all. So, um, but let's let's talk college football. LSU, um, break down the game. They they needed needed a win, and I think we expected them to win. But did they play as you expected? Did they play better than they did last week? Or is there still some areas where you're like, man, like I'm very concerned still? Well, you can only take so much into account for Vanderbilt, but I want to start with something that I said last week. And, you know, some people say that one player cannot completely change a game. And Derek Stingley is rated the number one corner in, in America. And just to put it in perspective, against Vanderbilt, they completed no passes to his side of the field. Now, I understand it's Vanderbilt. But when you shut down a college football team from even throwing to your half of the field, it really speaks volumes. And then not to mention, he was also the punt returner, and he didn't have a return that wasn't dynamic. So we didn't have our best player. I thought that was so meaningful. And so he comes out and shows out and reaffirms what might have been different in that game had he played. Um, you know, offensively, I was texting you, you know, it'd be nice to have Jamar Chase, but I told people that, yeah, Justin Jefferson going to the league, he's a big deal first rounder, but I still thought Terrace Marshall was the second best receiver on that team. Now with Chase leaving, Jefferson gone, he's the number one guy. That's clear. Four touchdowns in the first two games. Um, Brennan's not stupid. Find find him in the end zone, right? And so, uh, you know, offensively, Brennan has done way better in his first two games for perspective than Burrow did in his. So a lot of people want to just immediately, you know, be negative with Brennan, especially after that first game win. In his first game, he actually did not play bad at all. Um, I think it's just hard when you follow up a national championship team that went 15-0 and a Heisman Trophy winner. But they bounced back nicely, um, you know, beat Vanderbilt good, which is what they needed to do. Didn't need to just come out and win. They needed to bust their butt and, and show their dominance. And, you know, let me go ahead and jump to – to the Arkansas-Mississippi State game real quick because I said it on here. I was not trying to be a hater. We root for Mississippi State on the side, like I said, because of all the people we've had on this this show. Um, I told you it was going to be more about how bad LSU was in that first game than it was that Mississippi State was a good team, and that got exposed not even but one week later. Very true, but I, I want to go back, you know, because we're we're gonna we're gonna talk Memphis now, and I want to go back to something that you said about LSU, and you mentioned that you're coming off of a undefeated season where you won the national championship. So, like, when you're trying to move through this year, given the amount of people that you don't have available, like it's there's going to be some setbacks and you have to understand that what you did last year was a special year and it just doesn't happen all the time. And I think as a Memphis fan, you get like a lot of Memphis fans get caught up into trying to be as good, if not better than they were the year before, which is a a great goal. But last year's Memphis team did something that was unprecedented, never before done, and just 
it was a special year. They had to do some things and some chips had to fall the right way um, for that to happen. Now, I'm not saying that that can't happen this year because Memphis has done a really good job after losing a game or getting a setback and, and having a little adversity of coming out and, and, and doing what they need to do and taking care of business. Um, but given the fact that Saturday's loss was a game that was played 20 day, days after their last game, had all the COVID protocols in place for the two weeks that they had and didn't touch a single person as far as a tackle full-on contact practice in, in that time frame. Like, they came out rusty. They came out exactly the way I th- envisioned them coming out what I envisioned is that what you saw in the first quarter was going to continue throughout the game. That's where I'm happy to say like Memphis did a really good job of of battling and fighting and figuring out how to, how to get it going. Cause they got it going. They gave themselves a chance to win the game. They just didn't do enough to win. But when you're given all that you had and you come into SMU who like, they're undefeated team and they, they, they're a good team. They got a good quarterback. They had great running back, a great receiving core. Like they just came out and they beat you. So um, I don't want to think too much into it. I think it was a, a game that we had an opportunity to win and we didn't. And should we be mad about it? Yes. But I don't think it's, I think it's a better loss than last year when we lost to Temple. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you touched on it. I mean, they didn't get to to hit each other. They went 11 days without any kind of practice at all. Um, you know, we, me and you talked about it. When you can't game plan for a team, and I know when we talked last week, I told you don't worry about it. And I, when when that score got to 24 to three, I was like, oh, I was like, all right, so maybe I was wrong on this one. But then when they brought it back, I thought they just might get this done. But um, you know, most people don't like to see silver lining, um, don't like to find the good in a loss. But the fact that they didn't just lay that game down and they battled back and it gave them some type of um, foundation to build on going into a even bigger game. Um, this, is, this is the team that, you know, has had your number. They've been the key to winning the conference. And you get two weeks, as, you know, barring no – no illness this time. You get two weeks of practicing to prepare yourself and have a uh, functioning game plan and a full roster. Yeah, and I'll I'll be honest with you. If there's one coach in all of the American Conference that I hate, it's Josh Heupel. I would like to punch that dude in the face. He just he looks annoying. He sounds annoying. I I just I couldn't imagine playing for that guy. So. On top of the fact that I cannot stand UCF. So we got two weeks to prepare. Personally, I'd rather, like, the last thing I think I would want Memphis to do is have a week off in between games. I would rather them just roll right into a good, solid week of practice and roll into a game. But unfortunately, we don't we don't have that luxury. So... Um, I think if they, or do like or do like LSU just had this past week get a get a Vandy in your way so you can get a get a little practice in <laughs> something you know but you know hey maybe it'll be good it'll get them back on the you know 
a full load of practicing. They'll open up the offense, be able to do some different things. And I, I think, you know, as we go through, you, you're seeing Ryan Silverfield get comfortable with what he's doing. There were some some people were like, well, why didn't he just kick a field goal at the end of the game? Why give Brady a chance to throw the ball? And I mean, you're looking at a, a 56-yard field goal, which, you know, we made a 56-yarder in the first half, but you're kicking into the wind. And with second and eight, I think you're bringing Brady White back this year to be able to expect him to make plays at second and eight at that point in the year or at that point in the game. So I'm all for throwing the ball there and getting some positive yardage and making your field goal attempt a little bit easier. But, you know, it didn't work out. So we got to turn the page and move on to the next one. So, um, so let's talk conferences. You know, we got the, the big 12 and I'm just, pulling up the the standings um it's kind of crazy i mean you're looking at oklahoma state 2 and 0 your iowa state 2 and 0 kansas state 2 and 0 west virginia 1 and 1 tcu beats texas 1 and 1 texas drops to 1 and 1 and baylor oklahoma 0 and 2 what do you think about that i mean well now they won the first game Aren't they one and two? Because they were my lock the very first week. Yeah, I'm just talking in the big. In oh, the in big the, club. yeah, okay, yeah, no. Um, beyond surprising because, I mean, they've always steamrolled that conference. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you've looked for this upcoming week slate, Texas and Oklahoma play each other, so somebody's fixing to take another L. And, I mean, does Oklahoma literally go to 0-3 or does Texas take back-to-back losses? Like, I mean, those two teams, Daniel – unless all these other teams fall apart, are not winning the Big 12. So is this is this Mike Gundy's year? I mean, hey, there's been a, there's been a lot of hype. I, I personally wouldn't be mad about it. I, I get tired of hearing about Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, it's, it's tough because Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State is always – they're just not quite there. I would say that pretty much sums up their, their – I mean, they've been ranked in the top ten multiple years, and then they always – well, they do what Big 12 teams do, really. They lose to somebody they shouldn't. Like, I mean, I guess they fit well within their conference. Um, they can't get there, you know. And even when Oklahoma does get there, you see what happens. They get punished. So, uh, the, Big tw- the Big 12 is what it is. I, I think – I think I hope for Oklahoma State to be good, and I hope that maybe that they can bring something out of that conference. But, you know, they they were talking about it on the radio. And, you know, assuming Ohio State comes back with the Big Ten and is awesome, it really – this really may just turn out to be um, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State for real because the Big 12 isn't possibly going to bring anybody to the table worthy. So, you – you say Clemson, but they got they, this this week isn't going to be a cakewalk for them. They got I don't buy the Miami, Miami. stock ever. They the last few years that I believe that they were back and they they that's what they kept saying they're back. They end up getting pounded or winning or losing multiple games in a row. I'm going to need to see it. I, I would love. Let me be clear. I would absolutely love to see it. I and I would 
get ready to get on Instagram or Twitter so I can see Dwayne The Rock Johnson talk about his alma mater and how they beat him and he gives some inspired speech. I want it to happen. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's hard to to pick against Clemson, but um, if if there's ever going to be a year that's crazy enough for Miami to to do something like that, I think I, this is as good of a year as any. Um, but you're looking at you know Clemson two and zero, Miami two and zero. That'll change after this weekend. North Carolina two and zero, Virginia Tech two and zero. That'll change after this weekend. And you got Notre Dame, who's in the ACC for this year at 1-0. and Then you got some 2-1 and teams and then some 1-1 and teams. And then Florida State, Louisville, Wake Forest, and Duke all winless. Um, you know, where where do you is, – is Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech, are they just head and shoulders better than everybody? Or does – this ACC, does it end up, you know, shaking itself up with maybe like some teams like Virginia beating a North Carolina or like a Syracuse, you know, beating one of those teams and just kind of shaking it up or the the top is the top and everyone else is really just grasping at straws? I mean, I'd like to see somebody be challenging in that division Obviously, we're talking about Miami, but specifically within that Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and we're going to find out a lot from that matchup. But, I mean, with Memphis ties, I mean, do we not want Virginia Tech to be successful? Of course we do. I mean, I I have no ill will against Justin Fuente. So, I mean, with that, because I feel the same way, and I felt like he left in such a good way, and he did such good things for the Memphis program. Um, everybody wished him the best. He's He's done – you know, nothing great, but he's done decent. Um, I, I mean, if there was going to be a team that was going to really make some noise within that conference, um, I would think it would be them. Now, on the flip side, if, if North Carolina is that team, I think it would be cool because traditionally a basketball school, um, you know, doing something on the football field, that's always fun. I mean, as a, as a Memphis fan, you can get that. I mean, you were considered nothing but a basketball school forever, and it's fun being good at football too. Absolutely. So, with the SEC, uh, we're a couple weeks in. I mean, Florida's 2-0, Georgia's 2-0, Tennessee's 2-0. And on the bottom half of that East division, you got Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, 0-2. On the West, you got Alabama 2-0, everybody else 1-1. So, how do you – let's look at the East. I mean, Florida and Georgia and Tennessee, are they the – are they the three best teams in all of the SEC? Or um, and I'm leaving Alabama out of it because obviously Alabama's Alabama. Yeah, but. I think I think this is the first year that I in a long time. I mean, because when we were growing up, the East was where it was at, right? Um, but this is the first time in a long time that I can remember that the East is more intriguing. I mean, I think honestly, with what I've seen from the West, it is Alabama, right? So the East is what's worth talking about. And we're going to find out a lot from Tennessee and Georgia. And I cannot believe – I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot believe this line is 13 points against Tennessee. Um, I get Georgia has has owned this uh, matchup recently. But Tennessee's looked 
too good in their first two games, and Georgia's still trying to figure out their quarterback situation. So I think it's pretty disrespectful. I think it gives uh, Tennessee some more bulletin board material. Um, as a matter of fact, I think Tennessee could win this game, and I've heard a lot of people say the same thing. So that game's going to reveal a lot now going to the top team in the division, and it hurts me because, I hate, you know, I hate Florida with a passion. I told you I think Kyle Trask is the real deal, and I, I think inevitably, regardless of what happens with Tennessee, Georgia, I think Florida and Alabama are, are going to hash out the SEC. So let me – well, then let, let's move into just the, the slate of games for, for this weekend. So Florida, Texas A&M, is there any way that Texas A&M beats Florida? No, because even if Texas A&M plays great offensively, um, they're not going to win a shootout with Florida. And, I mean, they weren't impressive. Your stone-cold lock was Alabama, and they did everything I expected. They absolutely punished them. So, let me let me ask you this. Does Florida is a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Texas A&M, but Georgia is a 13-point favorite over Tennessee. To me, that makes no sense. It makes none. And on those lines, I'd put both of them on my parlay, obviously taking Florida to cover the six and a half and Georgia to not cover. But that Florida line, I'd take – man, I salivated that. Six and a half? Yeah. I mean, it's got one by touchdown. Come on now. Yeah. All right. So, let's – of the hey, slate I, will, game, I will say this. Hey, the Arkansas-Auburn game, I'll be interested to see that game simply because Arkansas – is coming off a big win for them, and Auburn is reeling from a beatdown. So does Auburn turn around and and punish Arkansas for what just happened to them, or do they? I mean, you know, you've seen this before. Some some teams bounce back and they bounce back strong, and then some teams they fold. And what an opportunity for Arkansas to possibly pounce on a team while they're down. And not only did they get their first win in 21 games in the SEC. What if they put back-to-back wins together? Well, I think if you're a Memphis fan, you're rooting for Arkansas, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you want Arkansas to be – you want them to be as good as you can possibly get before you start a, a, a series with them. Um, and like you said, this is a, a great opportunity for them to to get their name out there. Um, I don't, I'm not – Certain that it puts them in the top twenty-five by any means. It might, but it, it's hey, definitely... for Arkansas with what they've went through, man, two SEC wins in general, but in a row. I mean, they'll be partying in Fayetteville. So let's let's make some picks here. Last week you picked Auburn over Georgia. <laughs> we, we all know how that went for you. That was that that evened your record. You're at one and one. Uh, I picked Bama over A&M, which puts me at one and one. I feel like you, you know, I feel like for me, the first week I picked a more difficult matchup. And I think this week or this past week, you picked a more difficult matchup. So um, where, where are you standing this week? Uh, You know what? I don't want to get, as risky, I, I could easily say I'd take Tennessee and get super risky. Um, but go ahead, and I'm going to get still risky. I'm going to go with the underdog. I'm going to go ahead because we talked about it enough. Give me Virginia Tech. 
All right, you're going to take the, the fighting Justin Fuentes. Yeah, because, I mean, if I wanted to take it for sure win, I'd just take I'd take Florida or um, Bama, but that's not what we're doing here. We said so we're taking the – I'm taking it, though, because I believe that it can happen. I mean, I wouldn't take it if it was just crazy. Like, I don't know, your, your pick on um, Army was – I don't know, that was, that was pretty optimistic uh, in a – what was an optimistic situation? So since since you're you're taking somewhat of, of 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 a risk, I have three opportunities to take a risk. I could take Texas A and M over Florida. I could take Tennessee over Georgia. I could take potentially Arkansas over Auburn, or I could take Miami over Clemson. Okay, well. Uh, I can't I ref- let you take Texas A&M and over Florida because friends don't let friends walk into moving traffic. So I I refuse to to choose Florida for anything. I refuse to choose Tennessee for anything. I I just I I don't think Arkansas has what it takes. Even though I would love to to see them beat Auburn. But it's on the SEC network at 4 p.m. Probably not a game that I'll watch. However, the Miami Clemson game is 7:30 ABC prime time, and definitely a game that I'll watch. So, give me the Canes. I'm gonna take the Canes over Clemson. I think. So it appears that we got both games that are on ABC prime time. I got the early game, you got the late game, and we got the underdog. So we are rolling the dice. It's going to be fun. It'll give us some some vested interest in, in both of the games. So, um, you know, looking at, you know, last call, is there any, anything in the headlines that we missed? No, I think, I mean, we really covered all the sports across the board. I mean, um, like we, we said last week, hockey ended. We got in, We got into MLB. We didn't touch on every NFL game, but I think we hit on all the ones we needed to and then got into college. So I feel pretty solid about everything, including our interview tonight. How about yourself? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to move to around the horn. So, you know, let's, let's finish this strong. Jim, what's the one thing the audience needs to know before you go? Okay. So go back to, 2006, 2007, I came home from the military and I went to a Grizzlies Mavericks game and I sat on the floor with my dad. And my dad tells me, do you know who that guy is? And I said, what guy? And he points out the guy in blue jeans and T-shirt and white tennis shoes, nerdy looking dude. And, uh, you know, the Bill Gates type, whatever. Um and uh, I said, no, who's that? And he said, that's Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And I said, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, that dude's a billionaire. I said, that dude? And uh, at the time, I just wasn't very very familiar. Now, since then, um, obviously, between Mavericks winning a championship, seeing him on courtside during many games, and then obviously Shark Tank, Mark Cuban's kind of all over the place, and how can anybody not know who he is? Well, this week, he did something big, and we have talked about mental health on this show a lot, and 
this week he did something big in regards to that. And he didn't do it for show. One of the biggest things that I have liked about the story is he has not wanted to talk about it. He did his best to make sure that press was not around when he did it. He did it just because he cared. And he's shown a lot of this. Going back to when the NBA first went um, or canceled games for the COVID, he made sure all that the people who worked in his arena were paid and uh, had some sort of job. So um, I don't think this is a guy who is giving off uh, a false representation of his character. And so to get to the point of – or to tell the story, uh, Delonte West, there's been – three or four videos that have went viral over the last couple of years about how bad a shape he's in. He's someone who suffers from bipolar disorder and has some serious mental health issues. Well, instead of helping this man, a lot of people have spent time just making a joke of him. Well, Mark Cuban seeked out his mother to find out where he could find him and how he could help him. And he went and found him and picked him up. And, you know, different parts of this story reading, I mean, he was willing to not only go get him, but do whatever he needed to do, whether we're talking about going and seeing the right medical people, spending the money he needed to, giving him money, getting him on his feet, and taking care of this guy. A guy who, like I said, people have been making a mockery of. And so the one thing that people need to know is that Mark Cuban is a stellar stellar individual he has shown that through numerous things and um i wish nothing but good things for him and i wish a recovery for delante west because clearly he is fighting some demons that um me and you can't even begin to understand yeah i mean it's it's amazing a guy with as much fame and as much money that he has that that is something that he decided he was passionate about of all the things that he could have done. Um, that's how he chose to, to spend, you know, some of his time, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, um, I'm curious, how, how did, did he play with the Mavericks? Does he know him? How yes. He played with them 2011, 2012. So, I mean, that that just goes to show you, like, he – like, how could you not want to play for that guy? Like, I mean, you really – and you take that to what I was saying the first time I ever saw him. I like the idea that he's down there at the games cheering on his team like that. He's not – you know, and with the Grizzlies, you know, that's one of the biggest things. Robert Paris never around. That's one of the problems a lot of people have. You would never know he's the Grizzlies owner. Mark Cuban, you know who he is, and he's there rooting on his team like any other crazy fan. Yeah, but I, I, I always said, like, if I was an owner, I wouldn't be the guy in suits and shirts and ties and sitting in a press box. I'd be on the court sitting there, like, fully invested in the product that's on the court. So, you know, shout out to Mark Cuban, you know, doing the right thing. And then it it's just another validation of why people enjoy playing for the Dallas organization. I mean, he's a stand-up guy. Um, so, for me, the last thing I want the audience to know before we go is, um, you know, rest in peace, Bob Gibson. Um, 
I think one of the biggest reasons why I am a Cardinal fan is, yes, the ties to the the city of Memphis and the closeness to Memphis and the proximity and being able to see them and there being the, the, the closest uh, major league baseball team and the Redbirds being there. But my dad was a Bob Gibson fan and told me about Bob Gibson and how like he was like a bulldog. And so like when I was a kid growing up, that was the mentality that I tried to, to bring every time I step on the mountains, I just wanted to be a bulldog. I wanted to get after it. So, um, you know, pour one out for Bob Gibson. And, you know, it's a, it was a sad day, um, sad couple of days for Cardinal fans, but we're very appreciative of, of what he gave to not only the team, but to the city. And as always, November 3rd is, is vastly, is, is quickly approaching. So make sure you're registered, make sure you go out and vote so that your vote counts and so we can make a difference. That's all I got, man. Let's take this home. So it was a, a lot of, a lot of good talk, right? I, I'm inspired and I'm blown away by, by Grace McClellan. I mean, she gave us a great story, great insight. And, you know, I can't wait to bring her back on. I know she's, she's chomping at the bits to come back and, and talk to us about, you know, the season. And, you know, I can't wait for, for her to come back and, and just, just share with us her story again and, and share with us where she's headed. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the guests that we've had on for season one have been phenomenal. When we started this, I couldn't have imagined having so many great athletes uh, and not even just athletes, but athletes of great character. And so I look uh, even more, you know, I'm excited for, season two and what the opportunity may bring on these guests that we uh we have in the works right now and you know hopefully they're um everything that these guests were in season one yeah absolutely i mean if you're if you're out there and you enjoy the the guest or you have somebody that that fits the mold and you you think that they need to be on the podcast you know or you just like hearing us average shows talk x's and o's just like and share the podcast on facebook Retweet us on Twitter, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, your comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. Check out the website, man. It is, it's Jim, it's off the chain, bro. So uh, great job with that. And, you know, we'll see everyone next week for episode 28, where we're just going to be doing headlines. We're going to be breaking down all the sports. Um, it'll be a, a good week, no guests, um, but definitely a time to sit back and really take a deep dive into the NFL, the NBA, um, college football, and anything else that we feel like, you know, needs to be put out there. So this has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong bodies, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We out.